There's this really big story going around claiming that the Biden administration was funding the distribution of crack pipes. Snopes ran one of the greatest fact checks I've ever seen where they said it's mostly false. He's also giving out syringes. And I'm like, I don't know how that makes it false, but I guess in, in some strange technicality, you can argue the story's not true because there's more to the story. Well, now the White House is disputing it, claiming their safe, uh, their safe smoking kit is actually not, it, it doesn't include crack pipes. But if you actually look up standard safe smoking kits given out for drug intervention, it includes meth pipes and crack pipes. So I don't understand why theirs wouldn't have that kind of think they're lying. But Joe Biden's approval rating is in the gutter. It's lower than Trump's was at the same time in aggregate. So this is all the polls combined. I think it's fair to say that Joe Biden has done a miserable job. We got a lot to talk about. And joining us to talk about that and so much more are two incredible members of Congress. We have Thomas Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Thomas, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Um, I'm from Kentucky. I'm a high tech redneck. Grew up as a hillbilly, still a hillbilly, went to MIT, live off the grid. Oh, for some crazy reason, I ran for Congress, and here I am. <laughs> MIT Hillbilly sounds like a good sitcom, great, to be yes. honest. <laughs> yeah. You could come to our house and watch it, because my wife is an MIT Hillbilly, and we have a son who's an MIT Hillbilly. Oh, cool. Wow, oh, cool, wow. cool. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear about the Klux Capacitor, your yes. chicken technology. Latest I'm a, I'm a, invention on the farm. Sweet. I'm a big chicken fan, so mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. Marjorie, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Um, my name is Marjorie Taylor Green from Georgia. Um, freshman member of Congress and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Thomas. I'm, I question myself sometimes, like <laughs> what made me run, but I think, uh, America's worth saving and happy to be here with my good friend, Thomas Massey and join you all. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Excited to have you both. And we also have Seamus Coglin of Freedom Tunes. Yes. Seamus Coglin, Freedom Tunes. It's a, political cartooning channel where I upload new animations every Thursday. We have one coming out tomorrow about the feds that I think is pretty funny. We're very happy with it. And I also released one two days ago about Joe Rogan and Fauci. Tim was in it. Yeah. What's up, everybody? The voice of Dr. Fauci. And it was yeah. it was really well done. It was great. Thank you, oh, You're welcome. Hey, Ian Crossland, happy to be here, guys. Looking forward to talking tech and politics. See you and soon. I am also here pushing all the buttons in the corner. Wish me luck tonight. We have a lot of people here tonight, but we'll make it work. Yes. We will. And don't forget, go to TimCast.com if you want to directly support our journalists and the work we do. We're going to have a members-only podcast up around 11 p.m. tonight with all of our guests. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. You don't want to miss it. So again, TimCast.com. But don't forget, smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. And now let's get into that big story that's been going around that everybody can't stop talking about. Newsweek reports, White House says crack pipes never included in safe smoking kits. I think this story is particularly interesting to me because I can understand wanting to intervene to help people who are addicted to drugs, to lower drug infection rates, to get them into safe environments, and help them get off drugs. The problem I have with this story is that, for one, I think the White House is lying about not including crack pipes. And I think giving crack pipes to people or meth pipes and other drugs, syringes, will just increase the amount that they're actually doing. So I just want to mention one thing in reference to this story. If you do a Google search and look up harm reduction supplies and safe smoking kits, glass stems, crack pipes, and meth pipes are typically included in them. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I don't know if um, our our good friends from Congress have any insights into the story or what was going on. Is it true? Is it false? And what do you think about it? Um, I would like to say that uh, fact checker itself, I reject the phrase. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a synonym for corporate shill or leftist propagandist. Amen. So that's my take on fact checkers. I well, don't believe a word they say. No, I don't believe a word they say either. And, and actually, I find it appalling 
that Joe Biden and the Biden administration would uh, give out crack pipes um, in these safe smoking kits. You know, we do want to see people get off of drugs. I think that's extremely important. But I think Biden doesn't care about drugs. He doesn't care about people dying. Fentanyl is coming across our border at at a terrible rate. Um, fentanyl poisoning is now the number one cause of death uh, of ages 18 to 45 years old. And so jo- Joe Biden's all for drug use, right? He's all for fentanyl. He's all for uh, smoking meth, smoking crack, whatever it may be. Uh, it's absolutely appalling. But the one thing he doesn't support, the one safe drug he doesn't support is ivermectin. So I think this is a serious problem. Well, as always, people should be getting medical advice from trusted medical professionals. And I don't care if it's a politician. I don't care if it's a celebrity. You got to get that advice from somewhere else. The story, the part of the story that makes me laugh is, okay, let's just say for a minute, all right, there's no crack pipes here, right? They, they, they've denied it. No crack pipes. Does the safe smoking kit include meth pipes then? Because that's typically involved. The issue is even Snopes acknowledged the point of this program is to give priority to minorities to smoke these drugs. So that means that, that think about this for two seconds. Like the Biden administration is basically saying we're going to be funding programs that distribute drugs and, and drug paraphernalia to minorities. I don't think that's going to solve the problem of racism. Are they actually distributing drugs as well, or is this just a paraphernalia program? I think it's paraphernalia. Okay. But to make sure that's clear, clarified, like syringes and stuff like that. But if, like, I'll put it this way. If there's like a white dude needs a drug addict, there's like a black dude needs a drug addict, and your program says give the drug, the, the supplies to the, to the minority, that means you're going to have less white people doing drugs and more minorities doing drugs. That sounds awfully racist and or like more, horrifying. more white people getting sick from from dirty needles. And, and that's also horrible. And, and ra- oh, seems like- wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have we we haven't voted on any funding for this. How are they doing it? We've given them broad swaths. I don't know how they do it. I don't remember reading do, this in any bills. We, we have voted on one thing, though, in, in our Judiciary Committee. And that is to make sure there's parity in drug sentencing laws between crack and powder cocaine. Because uh, in the beginning, it was actually the the African-American communities who wanted maximum sentences for these evil people that were destroying their communities for crack. They should. But then they decided that it was racist to over-prosecute crack in comparison to powder cocaine. So a lot of states have made it uh made parity between the sentencing laws between these two and so we've had votes in congress to restore parity to get rid of any racial bias i don't think people should be going to prison for doing drugs i think they need help i don't know how do you guys feel about that i think drugs are so destructive i mean like i said right now the drugs that are coming across the border just a record rate uh through the mexican cartels are, are laced with fentanyl and if if young people are dying, if the number one cause of death for young people is fentanyl poisoning, I, I think drugs are a real is, problem. I, is I it, really do. Is it, num- is it number one? <clears throat> it's number one. Wow. Number one cause of death. It's not COVID-19. Huh. It's fentanyl no. poisoning. No, wow. I, I think we have the constitutional authority to regulate it at the border. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's be honest, when they wanted to outlaw alcohol, they recognized at the time they had to do it through a constitutional amendment. So uh, states might be able to do this and the feds might be able to do it at the border. But I don't think we have the constitutional authority to ban substances at the federal government level. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I agree. I, don't, I, don't, I think, you know, the, the problem is we talked about this a bit last night. We want people to not do drugs. And so personally, I think locking people in prison for imbibing something sounds really, really awful, especially if it's something hurting them and they're addicted and they need help. So you, you look at these other countries, you know, Portugal was big, but they offer people help. You know, you, my understanding is it's still illegal to do these things in public. 
giving out these supplies and funding the stuff seems like they read a pamphlet about it and then decided to throw money at it without actually investigating what it's going to do because it sounds good on paper. I just watched Leanna Wen from CNN talking about how times are changing, the science has changed, and things are changing, and now we got to think about how depression and how like despair is doing damage to people. So maybe this is a way to help people cope with their despair because maybe drug addiction is up. I wouldn't be surprised. Sure. Joe Biden's like, have a crack pipe. Yeah. Well, and also throughout the pandemic, deaths from drug overdoses have increased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is suicide. Yes. It's it's tragic. It really is. But if it saves just one life, right? I love the fact checking on this, though. Like you were mentioning, fact checkers. Isn't it kind of crazy they're at that point where fact checkers, for the most part, obscure the facts to make it harder for you to understand what's going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's... (laughs) <laughs> and, and the question is, what is their purpose and who is paying them? I dug deep into factcheck.org and, and looked at their corporate records, and they receive funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which holds $2 billion of J&J stock, which is a vaccine manufacturer. The money they receive is earmarked for vaccine fact-checking. What? Really? Yeah. Yep. So I, ta- I taunted them on Twitter and dared them to fact-check me hmm. on, on my facts on them. And so their fact-checks didn't deny the fact that they were taking money from this organization has $2 billion of uh, vaccine manufacturer stock. They said that I was wrong because the vaccine manufacturer has no editorial con- uh, control over what they say, as but I never said that. Right. And as if it matters, to be honest. Right. They own the fact check program. I didn't yep. say they have editorial Man. control. What's the name of the company that's taking the, the $2 billion from Johnson & Johnson? Robert Wood Johnson. They they were started with Johnson and Johnson stock. It's one of the founders of Johnson and Johnson, and they say they're trying to diversify it. But the reality is, they still hold two billion dollars, and they're getting money from that. Do you know how much of it is earmarked for um, propaganda? Well, I guess if that's the right word. Well, they give it to factcheck.org the right and their entire program, which is probably not a big program. It's like one leftist reporter from Pennsylvania somewhere. Is funded with it. And then they just pay for ads with it or something, like Facebook ads or – They hire people. Oh. Yeah, they, they pay this one reporter who's not a scientist. So think about it. The taxpayers are funding the people to be in charge of what's information and what's misinformation. What gets me is – That makes no sense. If you draw a six on a table and you ask one guy, what is that? He says it's six. The other guy says it's a nine. And then the fact checkers come in and they get to decide which one of us is right. And they get to decide who gets banned, who yep, gets demonetized, yeah. who gets removed. Yep. Well, and that here's what I love about the science change, like that Liana Wen woman or whatever. Is that, is that her name? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a CNN. CNN doctor. She's like, the science changed. And now all of a sudden they're trying to reopen and end the COVID restrictions. My problem with this is we have a ton of studies coming out of India and Sweden that say certain things. So just leave it at that. That's not the science changing. That's Those studies are bad. Then all of a sudden, one study comes out, and they say, oh, look, the science changed. We're going to change our policy. What? No, they're picking and choosing what is the science. Apparently, Dr. Fauci himself is the science, and he decides, and then that's the direction they go. Yeah, I mean, if you criticize him, you're criticizing science. But on the the note of these fact checkers, when you look at Snopes, for example, a couple years ago, there was a huge controversy where they were fact checking the Babylon Bee, which publishes satire articles. (laughs) And part of the issue with that is it was actually demoting their content in the algorithm and just to give you an insight into how honest this organization is referring to snopes they doubled down on this instead of admitting that it was ridiculous to fact check satire and they said we conducted a study which showed that a lot of people believe these articles are real well this is what they did 
they took headlines that were yes. obviously jokes and rewarded them to sound like they weren't jokes. So one example was Democrats vow to close dangerous gun buying loophole known as the Second Amendment. And that was a Babylon Bee article. It was reworded by Snopes to say Cory Booker is one of several prominent Democrats to describe the Second Amendment as a dangerous loophole that allows people to buy guns. <laughs> and wow. then they asked people if they thought that was a real story. And when people said yes, they said, see, that means they believed the satirical Babylon Bee headline was true. It's true. It's truly amazing, isn't it? Well, they're in charge of the information, or at least they've put themselves in charge of the information. But just as Thomas was just pointing out, the taxpayers are funding them to be in charge of the information. By the way, quick story. When the vaccines first came out, the Pfizer data, the top line data was out there and the CDC issued a report and said that it was the vaccine uh, data showed that the vaccine was 92 percent efficacious if you'd already had COVID. And I thought, well, that's a remarkable claim. And so I went and looked at the data and it showed it was there was actually a negative correlation for those who had already had COVID if they took the vaccine. This is Pfizer's own trial data. So I'm a congressman. I called up the CDC and they took my call. Surprising, right? Yeah. And the director uh, in Washington, D.C. said, I'll get my top scientists on the line. I said, I think it's a typo. So she she calls me back with their top scientists and she said, we're going to call you Eagle Eye Massey. We don't know how we printed this. We, it's a mistake. We don't know oh, how wow. it made it in here. And I was like, well, okay, well, you're going to fix it, right? Oh, yeah, we'll fix it. And they said, so are you going to, are you going to do an errata? Uh, are you going to change the PDF that's up there? Like I got into the technicalities. And so I thought it was all fixed. Uh, the vaccine comes out. Older people in Kentucky couldn't get it because younger people were taking it who had already had COVID. But the data was never fixed. The data was never a month later. Somebody said, oh, the CDC says this. I went back and looked. They never fixed the lie. And the and the lie is obvious. It's knowable today. So you're saying wow. there's a negative correlative data, meaning that after someone received the vaccine or if someone had received COVID and then they got vaccine, there was a less was, was less resistance than if they hadn't had COVID and got the vaccine. It was minus seven percent. But they had so little data. It's hard to draw any conclusion. Like the fact that they even claimed they could say it was 92% was ridiculous. This is is early on. Early. This was when the vaccine first came out. This was uh, December, December 14th of 2020. Right. So as it's gone on though, we've learned more, but really the truth is when they're talking about the science changing, like she was talking about on CNN, Y'all, it has nothing to do with science. It's all about polling. It's about politics. And this is an election year. And this is why Democrats are starting to loosen up. We saw New Jersey taking away their mask mandates, other states, and they're easing off because they know they're in trouble. This is a major issue. Parents do not want their kids masked. I will I will issue the obligatory. Talk to your medical professional about what's right for you. Absolutely. Data changes, so make sure you're double-checking a lot of the stuff because, uh, you know, we don't have anything pulled up. But uh, YouTube is very, very gruesome these days. By the way, I have recordings of those phone calls. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you you normally record everything when you make calls to these people? No, I I normally do not. It's not something I would ever do with another congressman, for instance. But I publish them? uh, I gave them to Cheryl Atkinson, Mm -hmm. who did sort of an expose, and she picked – the portions of the phone calls. I mean, there there's like an hour of recordings because I had five or six. I should just release them all. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the polling data and how it's changing. So, you know, uh, Marjorie, you're just mentioning it's not about science; it's about polling. Right now, we're seeing you know New York, Illinois. You mentioned New Jersey. They're starting to pull back on their mandates. 
We have this story from TimCast.com. President Biden's approval rating falls below 40%, according to new poll. Mm. The rate marks an all-time average low for Biden at 30, was it 39.8 in the Real Clear Politics average? That is, I believe, like two, two or three points lower than where Donald Trump was at the same time in his presidency. I think it's fair to say the Democrats have gotten the message. When you look at civics data, uh, the, the, it's a website, the civics spelled with a Q. You can see that on economics, on COVID, on uh, the direction of government, independent voters and Republicans are very much in alignment. Republicans absolutely think the economy is trash. Independent voters think the economy is very, very bad. Democrat voters think the economy is good. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know why, they must be watching too much CNN. Yes. But that tracks true for almost every issue. Wow. Black Lives Matter support, uh, the COVID response. Democrats think Joe Biden did a great job. Independent voters, Republicans are kind of like, well, Republicans are like, it's miserable. Independent voters are like, it's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, it's, it's weird that we have Democrats, the voter base, believing something that most Americans, or at least independent voters and Republicans don't. I think obviously it's media, but I think the media narrative is breaking. That's why Democrats are going down in the polls. So it's not even just the polls. It's that they've lost control of the narrative which results in the polls tanking, which results in them saying whatever they got to say to try and win, especially this year. I totally agree. Well, you can't lie to people over and over when they see something different in their everyday life. When they're going to the gas pump and gas is up to almost $4 a gallon. When they're going to the grocery store and the, st- the store shelves are empty and, and food prices have gone up. And then when they're taking their kids to school and their children are healthy and no one, is, their children are just fine after two years of COVID-19, but yet they're still being forced to wear masks. And then there's children, you know, suffering like with speech therapy and different type of, you know, special needs kids. These masks are terrible for them. And, and so yeah, it's, it is a real issue and you can't lie to people over and over again on the news and when they see something different in their everyday life. Stacey Abrams, mm. Alyssa Slotkin. You know, uh, Stacey Abrams sitting down with all these kids wearing masks and she's not doing it. Yeah. I mean, they're basically telling you they don't care. They don't care. Let me say something about Stacey Abrams because she's running for governor in my state. That picture was infuriating to me. I'm a mom. I've got three kids. Now, my kids are older. But Stacey Abrams, she is in the high one of the highest risk factors for COVID-19. She's obese. She is. She's obese. I'm, I'm not trying to say anything terrible about anyone, but that is the state of her health. She's sitting on the floor without a mask in front of all these children who who are not at high risk of COVID-19. That Those are the facts. That's on the CDC. That is the data. That science has not changed. She sits there without a mask. I mean, it was infuriating to me. There's no way parents in Georgia to want that woman to be the governor of our state when that's how she views children, that she is better than them and that they have to sit there with a mask on while she gets to take hers off. Why did she do it? Do you guys know? What was the purpose of that photo? It was really, really bad looking I, for her. It's, it's not the first time we've seen a Democrat who advocates for masks not wear one. No, oh, a time. picture recently of Obama. We okay. saw Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done. We saw uh, Whitmer, the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think they're just liars. They're, they're lying about how they really feel about masks. And, we and got, if they want, they, if they don't, oh. do, you, do you see that video of Rashida Tlaib saying, she's, a, she's on camera saying something like, I only wear this when the Republicans are around or they're filming me or something. It's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. Well, we thing. can talk about yes, masks. I'm going to let Thomas start. Yeah. In the House of Representatives, there's a rule that you have to wear a mask. But guess what? It only applies when you're in front of cameras. Huh. What? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Either the only place they enforce the rule is in a committee where there are cameras 
or on the floor of the house. Oh my! Not in the hallways. And when you go in the hallways, oh wow! You'll see Democrats take their masks off. It's been that way for over a year. The whole yeah, it's been there ever since I. It's been that way the whole time for me. Only if there's cameras. Now is that? But I don't wear mine. Is that codified in the rules? Like it says in the presence of cameras or... No, it doesn't no. say in the presence of cameras. Functionally, they just don't enforce it Fun- unless cameras are around. They, they functionally do not enforce it anywhere but on the floor or, or in a committee where there Incredible. are cameras. Where I have over $100,000 in mask fines and uh, my good friend <laughs> Thomas Massey and I have something fun going on. I'm going to let yeah. you tell. So uh, one day Pelosi goes out. The, the media says, when are you going to lift the masks fines or the masks rule in the house? Because remember, there was a period of time where if you'd been vaccinated, you could take your mask off. Right. And most of Congress had been vaccinated. So they asked Pelosi and she said, until every member of Congress is vaccinated, everybody's going to wear a mask. And I realized, okay, the mask rule is now morphing into a vaccine rule. Yep. Mm. And so I organized, I don't want to say I led, but I organized 10 members of Congress and Marjorie was among them to go to the floor of the house and notoriously and openly violate this mask rule Mm -hmm. in front of the C-SPAN cameras. And we were promptly fined for our transgressions. And if she had just sent the bill to Georgia for Marjorie's case or, or to Kentucky in mm-hmm. my case, she would have been fine. We would have thrown them in the trash and she wouldn't have got her money. But what she did is she reduced our salaries. That's right. Whoa. Takes it off on the front end. How does she do that? Well, she violates the Constitution to do it oh. because the Constitution says that the salaries are set by law and drawn from the Treasury. To be set by law, a law has to pass the Senate and be signed by the President. Mm. The 27th Amendment to the Constitution, the very last one to be ratified, ratified in 1992, but suggested during the Bill of Rights, says that congressional salaries can't vary without an intervening election. Now, why did they do that? A lot of people think it was so we wouldn't give ourselves a raise. That could be partly true, but in reality... If you go back and look at the debates, they decided if anybody could get control of a person's sustenance of their salary, they could bend their will pretty easily. And so they made sure that you couldn't vary it until there was an election. Unless so she's, you're rich. Yeah. Then, But even that, I mean, Marjorie's got $100,000 of fines. Oh, the next thing they did because they figured out they can't stop me from refusing to wear a mask because they figured out I truly – will not stop doing it no matter how much they find me. And we are going to have a very successful lawsuit. I'm thrilled about it. Um, he's explained it perfectly. So they sent a letter. Uh, uh, a letter was sent to Sergeant at Arms saying that they should put anyone without a mask up and in, up into the COVID box. And, and no one really <laughs> – the public doesn't know about the COVID box because it's not in view of the C-SPAN cameras. The COVID box, Nancy Pelosi had it built uh, right before this the vote for Speaker of the House in January of 2021. It is a plexiglass box up in the corner of the House chamber. Now, the plexiglass doesn't go all the way to the ceiling, and it's supposed to be the, the original design was for any House member uh, to go there if they were sick or having symptoms of COVID-19. It wasn't for well people uh, unvaccinated people or people without mask. It was only for sick people. But then Catherine Clark, who, who called representative her, Catherine, Clark. representative Catherine Clark sent a letter to the sergeant in arms because they're so offended, um, at me or any, or Thomas or anyone not wearing a mask and they want to put us up in the, in the COVID box. In the penalty box? Pen- yes. <laughs> I, like, I got to check you up into the penalty box. This is beyond 
I, I when I think about how bad Congress is, you know, the first time you came, Marjorie explained how they don't even really vote on the bills. They just like I nay, and then it's just like done. It sounds like Congress isn't a real thing. It's like it's like a theater to make Americans think there's something actually being done about our problems. Speaking of theater, do you remember the title of this person who wants us in the box now? Yes. Oh, yes. As- what was her title? Assistant Speaker. Assistant Speaker we, of the House. We think that her real know. title is Assistant to the Speaker. Right. And then she just marked out. That's a <laughs> Dwight, that's an <laughs> joke from The Office. Yes. Yeah. By Dwight Schrute. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Ian, that's right. The Dwight reference. I think it's funny that we're all sitting here laughing and it sounds like the institution is just completely in decay and falling apart. Oh, it it's gets scary. Worse, we can tell you more. Well, I I was the guy that everybody hated. By the way, I was the most hated person in Washington D.C. Now I'm just the most hated man. Now that Marjorie is there, but before Marjorie got there in 2020, March 27th, 2020, 10th day of flattening the curve, Congress decided to spend two trillion dollars with nobody there and taking no vote. This is my favorite story, Thomas Massey story. One of my favorites. I got in the car and drove to Washington, D.C. and objected. And I said, the Constitution requires a quorum to be here in order to pass this bill. And they hated me. Nancy Pelosi called me a dangerous nuisance. Tell them what a quorum is. A quorum would be at, at least half of Congress needs to show up to pass. Which is how many people? 218. How many were, how many were there? Well, they were going to do it with one in the speaker's chair and one on the floor. They were going to do it with two people. That's like it. So remember I was telling you they, they'll pass bills with only a couple people in there saying yes or no. That is exactly what he's talking about. They were going to spend how much money? Two trillion dollars. With two people in there. The speaker and one other person. So they, they said it was too dangerous for them to come and vote. Meanwhile, they're going to the grocery store and expecting a grocer to be there and uh, somebody to bag their groceries. They expect the truck drivers to be driving. They expect the UPS guy to show up, the nurses to be the there. unvaccinated healthcare workers. Right. The, nobody was vaccinated at the time, mm-hmm. by the way. So anyways, I, I stood up. I objected. I said, I'm here today to make sure that our, our republic doesn't die in an empty chamber by unanimous consent. Is it like uh, a cryptographic uh, vulnerability to vote by – just vote digitally and then confirm it with a video chat? Well, okay. They, they hadn't – by the way, I think they need a constitutional amendment to do that. Um, what they have come up with since then is a vote by proxy where a human being tells another human being in, on the floor, vote for me this way so that they can't be compromised. It's basically human. So it works like this. I say to my friend Thomas Massey, I'm going to just stay in Georgia this week while Congress is in <laughs> session. Thomas, will you vote for me? And then Thomas goes, sure, I'll be your proxy. And so I can... I've never done this, by the way, and I will not do it. And I haven't either. Yeah, we don't participate. But this is what members of Congress do. Some of them have just hardly ever shown up, literally hardly ever shown up, and someone else just votes for them all the time. So this is like a representative having a representative. That sounds like they're not doing their job. (laughs) They're not doing their job unless you count their job as going to fundraisers. I mean, they will literally attend fundraisers. That's right. Instead of coming to vote. Term limits? Do you think term limits will will end these these nonstop fundraisers? I don't think so. I, I don't think. I mean, I sponsor term limits. I'm for term limits. Let's try it. But I'm for it too. Uh, the, the problem is not that the people who've been there a long time sell out. It's the problem is that people get there and sell out on day one, mm-hmm. and then you have people who announce their retirements, and you would think, well, now they're unchained. They they've no obligations, and they'll vote their conscience. No. They once they know that they're no longer going to be there, their voting record doesn't improve. If anything, their attendance goes down. 
And then yeah, they get actually, hired by Pfizer or something. The ones yes. that are retiring, I'll give you an example. Adam Kinzinger, mm. that's, well, we don't know what he is. What is he? He's <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's little, little baby boy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, Adam Kinzinger, he, he voted yes with the Democrats' competes act last week. He was the only Republican to vote yes for it. So he's not running for Congress again. So he is completely sold out and voting whichever way the Democrats are happy with. But, um, back to Thomas's story. Uh, which how much of this do you want me to tell it's up to you oh my gosh i had president trump yelling at me oh my uh he called me up that day for the for the having the audacity to say that members of congress should show up and vote yelling at you for what uh i don't know he was afraid it might slow down the process of getting two trillion dollars out the door and twelve hundred dollar checks in the mailbox well let's reference when i I remember this it was in March of 2020. It was the shutdown. No one knew what COVID was going to do. Everyone was freaking out. People, they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So President Trump was pushing through. Thomas Massey was trying to say, no, we have to do this correctly. We still have a constitution. It has not gone away. And I'm proud of him. I totally support him for what he did. So he said, he said he would on the phone. He told me he was going to come at me. Like I'd never seen, never, never in your life before have you seen the way in which I will come <laughs> oh at you. Charles, that's that. awesome. Yeah, he said. <laughs> I feel like he also reminded me, which is true, he's more popular than me in Kentucky. And um, he said it would be the end of me. And I, I tried to tell him this was constitutional and we needed to do it this way. And it would still pass anyway because most people were for it. We just mm-hmm. couldn't break the Constitution today. Mm-hmm. And he repeated you know, I'm coming at you like you've never seen, Thomas. never in your life before have you seen the way in which I will come at you. And then he t- he said that I was a, he I didn't know what that meant, but before I got back to my seat, oh I I found out. He said I was a third-rate grandstander. Ooh. <laughs> on Twitter. He tweeted, on, he tweeted yeah. about you. On Twitter, yeah. And you're I in trouble when you. that happens. Yeah. And that I should be thrown out of the GOP and, 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 and some other wow. stuff. So when I walked out of the floor, having objected and making everybody show up to work, which they hated, by the way, they still wouldn't take a recorded vote. Even though they had a quorum, they would not put their names on that bill. And when I walked out, the, the press wanted to know what I had to say for myself that my own president had called me a third-rate grandstander. And I looked at him. I said, I was offended. I'm at least second-rate. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see that story? It was, it was several months ago, actually, but video recently got released of planes coming into New York carrying illegal immigrants, undocumented. So uh, they were being mm. uh, shuffled into, I think, Tennessee. And they, uh, the Biden administration was using military flights, Air Force, to bring you know uh, undocumented kids, illegal immigrants, across the country. We got a video released uh, of one of these moments. So there was a big story about these planes landing in Westchester, New York. Video, a body camera footage is released of these, con- these federal contractors refusing to show ID, refusing to explain what they're doing. The police who are doing security at the airport are like, what, are, what is this? This flight is past curfew. You're not supposed to be landing. Who are these people? Where are their IDs? And then one of the federal contractors said something to the effect of, if the American, you know, you know, help us if the American people find out what, what's, what's going on, what we're doing. And the cop says, why? And he goes, because the government has betrayed the people. And that's mm-hmm. a line from this leaked footage. The New York Post had this. I see stories like that. And it makes and, and, and everything you're telling me right now. And it really feels to me, you know, one of the reasons the media dislikes you guys so much, especially you, Marjorie, is because you are regular people and you've somehow got into the room. 
and they're 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 you know they're holding their wine glasses, <laughs> pinkies. I'm like, oh, heavens, you know, like the help is in here. Like, what do we do? Like the the, the plebeians. I'm pretty sure they said that. You, you guys both, yeah. you guys both were like basically independently wealthy or and had enough that you didn't need to make money out of Congress when you got there. I would imagine. I know you said you had a, like a construction company. Yes, we have a construction company. But for me, it was more about I, I've I've got so disappointed in Republicans not doing what they said they were going to do. And I just got so concerned and I thought, you know what? I'm going to run for Congress and and hold them accountable. And actually, I want to be part of a, a Republican conference that does the things that say that we say we're about. And also, I mean, I'll, I'm, I never apologize for this and I, and I always say it. I'm very proud. To, I've always supported President Trump and I loved his policies. And so when I was running for Congress, he was running for reelection for a second term. And that was something I wanted to be a part of. I really wanted to be a part of a Republican member of Congress. Um, hope, hopefully finishing out his America first agenda. Um, now I, I don't like the spending. I'm also honest about that. I want to see our, we should have a balanced budget. Actually, I'd like to see a budget that makes a profit. I'd like to pay off mm-hmm. the debt. These are things that I think we should be working towards. But, um, he was the first, uh, you know, president that I was, that I believed in because I felt like every other politician and, and most of the time they've been selling out our country. They've moved for decades. They've moved us into this global economy, which is hurting every single American. That's outside of politics. That's selling our country out. And so, you know, not, not, it wasn't about money or a career choice at all for me. It was about, I feel like I have to do this, you know, for my kids' future. And, and I didn't trust anyone else to do it. When you think about uh, well, paying off our me, debt, do you think that we could default on the uh, interest to the Federal Reserve? I think we have serious problems. I don't think our dollar is, is going to be worth anything pretty soon. And I think, uh, China is, is, has positioned itself so well. And because of our politicians who have, have moved us into this, I mean, we're Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden should be in jail. Um, but there's many other people, Diane Feinstein, many other people who have, have positioned and, and worked America into these, these, this global economy and, and companies, corporations and their interest. You know, I, I really worry about the dollar being worth anything at all. With, with everything we've seen, that you know inspired you both to get involved in Congress. How how optimistic or pessimistic are you? Do, do, do you think we're doomed? Do you think you know we've got sunshine heading our ways, or what, what's going on? Uh, well, let me let me clarify something. Ian said first. I'm not independently wealthy. I'm just independent. Uh, I live off the grid. We raise a lot of our own food. I don't need the job. If I didn't have the job, we could go back and sustain ourselves on our farm. And so that's where I draw my strength, not that I've got a big bank account. That yeah, wealth doesn't even mean money. Well, you know. Don't need it. We don't need it. Um, so um, so that's where I draw my strength when I go to Mordor, which is what I call it. <laughs> you know. So are you guys optimistic based on your time? Look, look, I'll put it oh. this way. You, 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 you've told us a lot already that's like really bad. You know, the COVID box, the not voting on things, the trying to shuffle through trillions of dollars. And I'm just like, you've got to be – particularly jaded at this point right so i'm jaded but i'm not apathetic i still want to fight but the process is getting worse and worse rank and file members are are excluded from the actual legislative process Uh, more and more the only vote you take that matters is at the beginning of the year when you vote for speaker and then basically there's a top-down 
uh, structure that's in control of the legislation. This is why, to Ian's point about term limits, there are permanent staff there. I'm not talking about the staff that work in Marjorie's office or my office, but they're, I, I call them the deep Congress. There's the, the staff that will be there when we are long gone, and mm-hmm. they were there before us. And if the, when they so choose, they could go work on K Street or maybe they came from there. Term limits for staff. That would be a big deal. That would be a huge deal because he's right. Thomas is right. The staff never leaves, but members of Congress come and go. How do I feel? I always have hope. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm very open about my Christian faith, so I always keep hope. And, and, and th- I think that's the best way to look at every single situation we find ourselves in, no matter how dark it looks. I will tell you what happened this past week, what we found out through our, one of our colleagues, Troy Nels from Texas. Um, the story he told about one of his staff on November 20th coming into his office during Thanksgiving week and finding Capitol Police in his office that had been taking pictures of Congressman Nell's um, whiteboard and things in his office and then questioning his staff uh, w- without a warrant or, or anything like that, questioning him about things on the whiteboard, that that terrified me. But then we also found out Louis Gomert, Louis Gomert, uh, Congressman Louis Gomert from Texas, also told a story and, and showed evidence. He actually showed it of mail that was supposed to come to him to his office. But it went to the Department of Justice, and then the Department of Justice had opened the mail, restamped it, and then they delivered it to him. That should never happen. And then what I've been through, um, you know, and our office buildings are closed to the public right now. Public cannot come in unless you get permission from one of our offices. But there's people that work in the building that vandalize and attack signs right outside my office door. And those are people that work in the building. The the amount of death threats I receive are are in you know some of the top um, of all members of Congress. That concerns me for my own safety. So when we're adding up all these things and and we don't know what's going on, it's it's, it's terrifying. I don't. This I, I, should never happen in in our in our Congress. Yeah, are there no I'm cameras gonna, to see the vandals? I've requested for months. I have asked over and over for the Sergeant at Arms and Capitol Police to put a, a camera in the hallway right above my office. And guess what? No camera. It should be live streamed. I mean, that, come but on, they national can pay security. For, they can pay for illegals to fly across the country in the middle of the night. And we haven't voted in on secret. that, have we? In secret. We have not. And mm-hmm. then the contractors admit to the body cameras that they've betrayed the country. I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump right into that, uh, that hot tub and say it. If you're, if we're at the point where the public is barred from these buildings and political rivals who live, who, who work there are vandalizing your offices, when you've got accusations, let, let alone if it's true, like maybe, maybe Troy's wrong about this. Maybe the Capitol Police are right. It doesn't matter. When you have such a hard divide where one side says Capitol Police dressed as construction workers broke into my office, photographed protected materials, and then interrogated my staff a few days later about it. Civil war. I mean, if the January 6th committee, if Democratic establishment uniparty players are willing to use law enforcement and vandalism, physical attacks to get their way to win, if they're going to subpoena the former administration, his staff and members of the media costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars, we are beyond elected representative government. It is now ruled by force. Whoever can, can command the most amount of power. This is the precursor, in my opinion, to hot civil war. Tim, I think you're perfectly phrasing the way most people feel when they're watching what's happening in Washington, D.C. It's it's 
it's not what happens in America. This is what we see happen in communist countries. This is where we see, you know, some people rise up and, and topple the regime that's in control and then they become the next dictator. This is, we don't see this in America. I, I stay away from the term civil war. I do not like it because I don't like violence. I, I was very upset on January 6th with that riot. It was, it was the worst day of my life. I'd just never seen anything like it. So that is not something I, I go near, but, I will say this shouldn't happen. This We shouldn't be treated like political enemies in such a way where they may be spying on, you know, sending people to spy on our legislation or or, or not protecting our lives. Like, I feel like they're not protecting my life um, and, or, you know, putting us, making us go through metal detectors to go vote where the entire room is on camera. It just it's it's totally out of control. One of the yeah. things that um, was floated the last time we talked to you was that Democratic groups are going to try and use legis- uh, lawsuits, the judicial system to bar you from reelection. And we're seeing that now with with Madison Cawthorn. They've filed claiming he's an insurrectionist for speaking at a rally. Thus, he's ineligible for office. That is shockingly dangerous because what happens when you get a partisan judge who agrees or disagrees, and then one side or the other side says, oh, they only issued this ruling because of their affiliation. And then let's say let's say they do disqualify Madison Cawthorn. Is he going to just be like, well, I guess I'm not in Congress anymore? Or is he going to say, no, I'm the duly elected representative, and I'm going to, to, to the Capitol? And then what happens when the police bar him from entry? What happens to the people in his state who expect representation when they don't get it? Well, Marjorie saw this. She was punished for something that happened before she was elected, and they won't even say what it was. She was removed from all of her committees. Now, she was still allowed as a congressperson to be a congressperson. But it's kind of like um, a second class they're trying to demote her to because she has no committees. The the voters litigate this, Mm -hmm. okay? The voters, there's 750,000 to 800,000 people in every congressional district. And those people and those people alone should decide if you are eligible if you've done something that disqualifies you, it shouldn't be the party that's in power when you get there mm-hmm. who gets to decide. That's right. The elections are there for a purpose. But what Tim's talking about is terrifying. They're trying to actually block Madison Cawthorn from being allowed to be on the ballot in North Carolina. Um, and so that's why he's had to file that lawsuit. But here's something really interesting. So let's turn it a little bit. Maxine Waters went on the ground in Minnesota, was it yep. Minnesota? Not even her home state. She's from California. That's right. So she goes down there and she's, you know, basically inciting a riot, inciting violence. No one moved to block her from being on the ballot. And so that's why this this is totally out of control. I agree with Thomas. Elections, it should be up to the people. They should be able to choose who their representative is. But this plan that was launched by Mark Elias, who is the Democrat election attorney, and he's put, he tweets about it all the time on his Twitter page, Mark Elias. Um, this this is an this is a plan that is uh, way out of bounds, completely out of bounds. I think it's one of the most dangerous things. I mean, look. What's one congressperson anyway? I mean, you, you want to get your legislation passed, then my, I would view the Democrats as just the appropriate thing to be to say was let's try and win where we can win and recognize we'll lose where we're, where we're going to lose. For them to go out and be like, let's file specialty lawsuits that bypass elections to bar people yeah. we don't like from being in Congress. Uh, let, let me throw it to Pennsylvania, where we had that uh, lawsuit 
over universal mail-in voting, which has since been ruled unconstitutional, proving the Republicans in that state right and simultaneously wrong because they were the ones who negotiated the deal in the first place. It was stupid, but that's besides the point. When it went to the lower court judge, the lower court judge said, on the merits of this lawsuit, it seems that universal mail-in voting in Pennsylvania violates the Constitution and the Republicans will likely win on those merits. It's got to go to a higher court. The higher court's public response was, you guys are Republicans and you took too long, so you lose. Mm. A judge shouldn't be looking at a person and saying, because of your political affiliation, I rule for or against you. So what happens when Madison Cawthorn goes to this, goes, to, he's filed a countersuit, arguing he is eligible for, to, for, to be on the ballot to run. Mm-hmm. They go before a judge. Maybe the judge is a Democrat. The well-known Democrat judge says, not nah, lawsuits correct. Madison, you're off the ballot. Are the constituents of Madison's district going to be like, okay, we accept that from this judge? Or are they going to say, no, we have voted on this? And what do those people do? And what happens if Madison then goes to Congress and says, the people have chosen me, let me in, and the Capitol Police say, no. See, I, this is where it's getting in very dangerous territory. And that is that is where people could be invoked to do things they shouldn't have to mm-hmm. do. I mean, it's a terrible scenario to even think about but here's the ultimate goal what they really want is if they can remove madison cawthorn off of the ballot on north carolina they can remove president trump and block him from ever being allowed to be on the ballot in north carolina and if if a president if a presidential candidate cannot be on one single state it's impossible to win the election and it's all about the electoral electoral college votes it's the count if he's not on north carolina he cannot win if he's running again in 2024 yeah i think it's also more than that that may be the main thing but uh Look, it's about intimidating members of Congress mm-hmm. because that congressional district in North Carolina is going to send a Republican to Congress. It's not about them trying to get some leverage in the majority and to get another Democrat there. They are trying to silence Madison Cawthorn, and if they can affect that, then they will have intimidated everybody else, and now they'll be more cautious and careful and, and about what they say. And um, and. And to be honest, uh, uh, except for Marjorie, <laughs> re- Republicans, <laughs> Republicans do scare very easily. They're yes. very, they're very scared of the New York Times opinion page. You know, uh, often they're more, more concerned about the opinion of the New York Times than their own constituents. There are very few politicians in general. I mean, look, the Democrats tend to walk in lockstep. They capitulate to the far left relatively often. The Republicans have a handful of people who are principled and stand up. For the most part, a lot of them are just like, I don't want to offend anybody. I better just play ball. Which is why you end up with Republican, with Democrats saying ban all guns and Republicans saying no, wait, don't. A strong Republican should be saying unban all the guns. Exactly. Give them out to everybody. Well, that's what Thomas says. Exactly. Well, that's why you guys are probably saying. This is probably why Dan Crenshaw canceled on us twice. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it's true. Dan Crenshaw agreed to come on the show. He had, he canceled. He said there was a vote. I said, that's no big deal. You owe us nothing. And, uh, well, they, they you communicate, I'm saying personally, but you know, the communications with our producer. And then he was supposed to come on yesterday and we got word there was a scheduling conflict. I mean, this is, this is, this is how it goes with the overwhelming majority of politicians. There's very few that actually are principled people who can speak candidly and honestly and don't have to worry about tripping over their own fake words. Who, who canceled today that you had to invite Marjorie and I? Who canceled? We canceled them. We were like, everyone get out. Marjorie and Thomas are coming. It was Alex Jones. No, it wasn't. I love Alex. I love Alex. I love him. Alex Jones is the greatest. Dude, he has been so canceled. He's a a wild entertainer and a a brilliant man. Isn't he fantastic? No one is perfect. 
Oh, and everyone is perfect. capable of incredible violence and incredible love. So yes, I, I, shout out to Alex Jones. We love you. And I have no problem. Like they 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 try and I I don't know what, what these these leftist media personalities think they're getting by trying to insult me or you know accuse me of things because I literally don't care and it's not going to change my I'm not I'm never going to bend the knee to their stupid whims mm-hmm. or whatever. Alex Jones is a journalist and member of the media. End of story. You don't, you, you can say he's wrong. You can say he's fake news. You can accuse him of, of being incorrect and not fact checking. And I think there's valid criticism in a lot of what Alex Jones says. Absolutely. Yeah. But he runs a media organization. And so when the January 6th committee, committee subpoenas him, they are basically violating our First Amendment protections. The, the, the press isn't yes. supposed to be, you know, the press can say what they want to say. And, 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 you know, I love this was really going to offend them all. Alex Jones is a journalist the same as Brian Stelter and Jake Tapper and Don Lemon are. Absolutely. Well, I was actually about to say the same thing. But some people are going to be like, don't insult Alex that way. Well, yeah, yeah. Alex Jones never lied us into a war. Uh, right, right, know, right. Traditional right. <laughs> media has. So. And Thomas, why does the New York Times and CNN get to say that Trump is guilty of Russia collusion yes. when it was never proven? That was and a it's actually proven false. Theory. Yeah. I, I want to make a point. You you don't have to try and prove you're a journalist to enjoy First Amendment protection. Also, yeah, exactly. There are occasionally... You know, the big newspapers will come to Congress with suggestions for extra protections that they might receive. And it should extend to anybody, whether there's one person listening to your podcast or whether there are uh, 10 million people subscribing to your newspaper. I want to follow up on asking about legalizing guns because I hear you are interested in that. When you talk about that, are you like Tim sometimes says, uh, repeal the Second Amendment? I think he's. No, not not repeal Wait, the second. No, no, not repeal <laughs> the second amendment. Yeah. The opposite of that. The opposite. What do you say? Repeal all gun laws and make everything. Like what about it. nuclear repeal, weapons? Repeal so, the NFA and abolish the ATF. So how far? Abolish okay, the ATF. That, how far do you take it with destructive weaponry that you think people should be legally allowed to possess? So uh, well, let's look to the purpose. What was the purpose of the Constitution? Why is the Second Amendment in there? Defense. Well, is, that's my opinion. I, I think it's there so that the government the government doesn't have a monopoly on force like it did in every other country. The people have the right to bear arms in our country. Why is that? It's so that tyranny can't prevail in this country. Look, can I, can I elaborate yeah. on that? I hear that a lot, and I think we can go deeper on that. Tyranny doesn't need to come domestically, can come from foreign adversaries. Right. We can be conquered or we can be corrupted from within. The right of the people to bear arms means that, as the fa- that famous apocryphal saying, there's a gun behind every blade of grass. Mm. You ain't invading this country. At the same time, tyranny from within. So to Ian's point, where do you draw the line, right? Is it a nuclear weapon? What is it? Well, first of all, let's, let's acknowledge that whatever the police have, to protect you when they get there, you should have until they get there. Okay, so anything any police department owns should be fair game, it, whether you know existing laws would ban it or not. I don't think that one person should be able to take over a country. It shouldn't be one person shouldn't have a weapon that enables them to do that. But the people need to have sufficient weapons to throw off tyranny. And it can't be where like 99% agree that it's tyranny. What about cyber weapons? Like the police has like hacking tools and stuff. Hmm. Um, I don't think that applies to the Second you, Amendment. Maybe not yet. But I but, think but, that's a there's a problem why? there. There's a problem there with the Fourth Amendment. Um, are you saying that should people be allowed to have them? It's software. It's math. Like I don't think you should ban it. There's no. There's no. Actually, free the software code. Whoa, 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 hold on a second. Police code. Just, we, need, we need some clarification. Is it illegal to possess? A, a malware or a virus? Is it illegal to possess? Hmm. 
I, it is illegal to infect someone's computer with a yeah. virus or malware, mm-hmm. but it's illegal to simply have it. Because if it's not, well, it's legal to have guns, but it's not legal to just go and shoot somebody. Right. Yeah, I wonder what levels of of tech the police are using right now to spy on people. I know they have things where they can like listen through walls and it do, it doesn't matter what the technology is if they're violating the constitution. This is the thing; it's timeless. What, it says they don't have a warrant. the The police should not be able to use that technology, whatever it is. What's that thing they got where they fly, they have, they take planes and they have this box that just takes all cell phone data and just breaks it? I forgot what it's called. It's a, it, the yeah. police have this technology. So whenever there's a big protest. You'll see like a plane fly overhead or they set up mobile cell sites and they have a device that just takes everything, all of your text messages, all of your phone calls, everything, they get it all. They had those uh, at many of the the, the riots uh, uh, during 2020. And I don't know if it's factual, but I'd heard that they had them on January 6th as well. So it, probably I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Capitol has them just placed everywhere and they're constantly spying on and monitoring everyone's cell phones. So the first part of your question, you say the police, the the, the local police, we should be on par with the police. What about At the least. military? So let's go back to the Revolutionary War because that's what was fresh in their minds, right? When they wrote wrote these uh, articles and and then later the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, you would need the the people need to have sufficient arms that let's say if thirty to forty percent. Tim and I were talking about yeah. this before the show. If 30 per, to 40% could agree that this was legitimate tyranny and it needed to be thrown off, they need to have sufficient uh, power without asking for extra permission. It should be right there and completely available to them in their living room in order to to affect the change. And, you know, uh, Joe Biden, he has that famous quote where he's like, if you want to take on the government, you need, you know, nuclear <laughs> weapons, which is just not true. It's not true. At all. The no. crazy thing Fighter is. Fighter jets can't we, occupy street corners. If, yeah. Well, you, also, how did we lose Afghanistan, right? Oh, look, right. look what it's It wasn't because they yeah. were a nuclear power. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There. Yeah. The Taliban building nuclear warheads yeah. and yeah. Mervs. Yeah. And the problem would be like if 1% of the population had weapons that were so strong that they could take over. Well, right. this is a good point. Or 20% or I be- 8 Like, where I believe does that? I, I believe the Second Amendment protects your right to own nuclear weapons. I believe an individual citizen in this country has a right to own a nuclear warhead. But not a delivery device? Oh, all of it. All of it. I think. Well, Tim, what about I biological think, weapons? Absolutely. All of it. All of it. The, con- the Second Amendment does not say the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed unless it can kill a certain amount of people. Unless it is a nuclear weapon, unless it's a biological weapon. No, no, no. It says arms, 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 nuclear arms, biological arms. It says arms. You got an issue with that. I can certainly understand why you have to amend the constitution. You cannot just decide, well, we as a culture hereby agree nuclear weapons are bad. So constitution doesn't matter anymore. No. Then you get together. You have a convention of states and you say, we all kind of agree. I see. This is so bad it's not that you it. want <laughs> nuclear weapons to be legalized, but principally you think they should be until we amend the constitution. It should not be hard to amend that. Or do you principally opinion. think we should? Do you principally think we should have? Well, hold on there a minute. Um, not necessarily, but I do think it's an interesting point you made, Thomas, that you know, individuals should have the ability to be at least on par with the police. I mean, the police have a ton of technology and weapons like LRADs, acoustic weapons. They have, they've experimented with light weapons and other things that we don't have access to. They also have, I'm pretty sure police have select fire rifles, which are regulated under the NFA, which we, which we have very difficult time getting. But if, if we're talking about, let's, let's say we're going to look at the purpose of the second amendment. And the, that's why I wanted to add that portion where it's not just about domestic threats. The idea that you have armed militia ready and waiting means that if a foreign adversary comes in, the local farmer is able to come out and fight instead of being disarmed. Well, that, that's quick, happening, though. Just 
in the event that China lands U-boats on the shores of California, and they've got high-grade military tech, directed energy weapons, Scud missiles, whatever. Well, not Scud missiles, but cruise missiles. What do the American people have to resist that as they invade, if they invade? And well, it could happen here. Can I give you a case that's not that abstract? Yeah, yeah. And may certainly be in play. I think Putin's calculus in, in Ukraine is not whether it takes him four hours or four days to establish air dominance over that country, because it's certainly not more than four weeks, right? The question for Putin is once you do that, are, are your soldiers willing to walk out in the street when mm-hmm. somebody in a jogging suit or in their pajamas, some grandma in their pajamas in an apartment building in Kiev t- decides to blow your brains out and you're just a soldier from Russia that wants to go home and be yep. with his wife and kids. Exactly. That, that ultimately is the calculus that Putin is making. It's a calculus anybody should make before you go into Afghanistan or something like that. Do the people who, who own the stuff, are they willing, is a, is a certain minority, a certain group of them willing to defend it with their life? If they're not, then it's not their country. It won't, it won't be their country for long. A dictator will take over internally or externally. And what weapons do they have? Are they willing to die for it? And what weaponry are they, are they willing to use? That's a fantastic allegory. Thank you. Well, I think one way we can look at this, I know in Georgia right now, we really want constitutional carry. That's something that's being pushed very hard. I believe the Georgia Senate is about to pass it. We're hoping that the House will pass it and our governor will sign it into law. But talking about people invading our country, that's happening at the southern border every single day. And you talk about farmers. We had a um, House Freedom Caucus. We had a panel and we had Border Patrol agents come in and many different people. And one of them was a retired Border Patrol agent, and he has a family farm that is right there at the border. And he was telling the stories of he he hates to leave his house because he'll be leaving his wife and young children there by themselves. And they constantly have illegal aliens coming right across their yard, right by the house. They have them come up to the door, and he feels that he has to be there all of the time to defend his wife and children because he has guns. And so when you talk about a country being invaded, we are a country being invaded. We're being invaded nonstop every single day at the southern border because the current administration refuses to secure our border. Well, and so it's, it is a serious issue. The Second Amendment is so important. And, and yeah, I believe we have to be able to have our guns. I, I, I think uh, uh, that was an understatement. Not that they're refusing to secure our borders, but they're aiding and abetting people who are entering illegally. Yes. The Biden administration has been taking these people and putting them on planes and flying them to other states. One of the biggest stories, the biggest scandals was when Republicans in Tennessee got wind that in the dead of night, they were bringing underage, undocumented children via military plane into their state without telling them and then just releasing them into communities. I mean, look, that that is beyond just having a weak border. Mm -hmm. That is... Hey, let's taxi you to wherever you need to go and we'll help you get there. I mean, that's, that's insane to me. And it's worse than that. Look at what we do with foreign aid. Every year we send just millions and billions of dollars in foreign aid to these countries. Guatemala, Central America, Mexico, all of these countries. We send this money to these, basically these governments that aren't taking care of their people, and we don't even know what they're doing with that money. We don't even demand an account. I would like to see an account of what are you doing with this money. 
personally, I'd like to cut it all off and keep all that money back here at home. But then these countries, these leaders, these governments who we're paying send their people, they just let them go and send them up here to invade our country. I mean, this is insanity and it should just never be happening. Rather than us giving foreign aid to other countries, why doesn't the Federal Reserve just print the money for them and leave us out of it? <laughs> well, what's the, what's the difference? Yeah, why do we have to pass it through our still, government just to make us feel good about it? It's still flooding, uh, the, the, the saturating, by the way. Yeah, well, the document it and cut out the middleman. By the way, a lot of those $1,200 checks went to people overseas who yeah. were not Americans, exactly. didn't have a green card. Oh, I see, because then there's little to no oversight because we have yet to audit the Federal Reserve. We, we haven't done that. Yeah, we do need we to should. do that. <laughs> totally <laughs> audit the Fed. Uh, so so l- l- let me ask you some questions. You're stripped of your committees. Are you able to write up bills and stuff? How, what does that What does that mean for you know? Oh yeah, I can I can write bills, submit bills. Um, I've co-sponsored some of Thomas Massey's bills. He's co-sponsored some of mine. Fire Fauci. We are totally all about getting rid of Anthony Fauci. Um, no, I I operate completely as all the other members of Congress. I just don't have have to be a Republican that sits on a useless committee because Democrats are fully in charge right now. That's actually it's been a great thing. I think I've had the advantage of learning more and working harder on the outside being without committees um, in this Congress, especially when Republicans are in the minority. But the good news is I get committees back the next time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, have either of you drafted legislation to either repeal the NFA, abolish the ATF, or audit the Fed? Abolish the ATF. You you did that one. Yes. Yes. I've got beautiful. The, yes. Very good. I've introduced audit the Fed every year that I. Oh, every Congress. year. Yeah. I should have known that. Sponsored it. I gotta right make on. sure I'm a co-sponsor. And uh, uh, does does Rand Paul do that in the Senate? I believe he, he's big on that, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. on it. And then, oh, I'm on it. Him and Bernie were working on that, weren't they? Interestingly enough. In a oh, Bernie's had effort. a change of heart. Bernie was all for it when he was in the House, and a lot of these senators were for it when they were in the House. We've passed it through the House, mm-hmm. and then it goes to the Senate. And then people magically had this epiphany when they got to the Senate that we shouldn't audit the Fed. Yeah, it's kind of like how he had that magic epiphany that millionaires weren't bad anymore once he became one. Now it's just billionaires. <laughs> right. If yeah. you want to have a house, you so can write a book. Do write it. a good book. It's true. You can do it. By the way, <laughs> I, got, I was getting when Trump was, was going to name uh, Betsy DeVos to be the Secretary of Education. I got swamped with phone calls. People were telling me not to vote for her. And we had to explain, I'm in the House, I'm not in the Senate. So <laughs> the, clearly, you know, the education system has yeah. failed you on this point, but. But she knows about CRT. You know, look. But they said, they, the people said, that, that's just an excuse. We know you can do something. So I did. I wrote a bill, a one sentence bill, because my colleagues, a lot of them don't have a long attention span. <laughs> it says, the, and I've reintroduced it. It says the Department of Education shall terminate on December 31st. <laughs> Oh, so 2022. Great. And so that's great. the entire bill. So now when they call up and they're mad, or when they were calling up and they were mad, I said, well, uh, you know, uh, I've introduced a bill to eliminate her job. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it. Because I don't think that the president or his appointees should decide how or what your children learn. Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's funny how when it's, you know, Donald Trump, they agree with you. But then right. as soon as you get a Biden, they're like, well, hold on there a minute. I'm kind of okay with it now. My yeah. problem with repeat with um, ending the education department is that it ends a lot of people's livelihoods. So a lot of people behind the scenes are like, oh, F that. We're going to we're going to stop him. But if you can transmute the department into some other useful tool or function, well, same I, with the Federal Reserve. Well, I don't want just want to cancel it. I want to create a new economic structure and then 
you know, port over. But Ian, the other day you were sort of making a point about automation and how it's inevitable and we don't want people to do jobs that aren't useful. And if the Department of Education is unnecessary, those people should just be so occupying different segments I, I, of the economy. I've got those numbers. There are 4,000 people at the Department of Education. None of them have written a book or teach, taught a class. They mm. make an average of $100,000 a piece. Wow. We yeah, could take that money. Which and, and send it to the states where the states could collect it, and it doesn't have to go through federal hands, and they could hire more teachers. Or get more the taxpayers. Yeah. Imagine doing an actual job. Yeah. Like a trade. A real job. Building houses and cleaning sewers, and then it Dr- turns... Being a truck driver. A truck yeah. driver. I think truck drivers do pretty a well. podcaster. But, do. Ima- you know, but, but, but imagine this. Making cartoons. You're working hard. You're driving your truck. Long haul, long nights, cross country, away from your family. And then some bureaucrat in the Department of Education is getting six figures to do what? And your taxes are paying for them. It's yeah, insane. your taxes. So, and it's the party of empathy and compassion who cares about the working class that is ensuring that this will always be the state of affairs. They're Look, for the worker. I think for yeah. the worker. If we exactly. canceled it, we'd have it free up four hundred million, which would translate to I think eight million per state. Is that what that comes out to for teachers to hire teachers? Mm-hmm. That could be a, a, a mass movement. Mm-hmm. Well, well, should yeah, be a mass yeah, movement. Yes, yes, but but is it also possible that um, you both could just introduce more legislation to uh, terminate more departments within the government? I personally I don't think we shouldn't pass bills and create more departments. We need to get rid of departments. Well, that's we need to right. reduce Amen. the size of the federal government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that is so, the biggest problem. It's out of control. So I like where you're going with this. You know, it's one sentence: the Department of Education will terminate. Have you considered that for any other department? CDC. Would be at the top of my list. Oh, yes. oh yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Because they're counter to health policy. Exactly. Like they have been. They've not just been a benign waste of money. They have been hurtful to health. It's not. It's not economy versus health. By solely focusing on on the virus, they have neglected suicide, diabetes, uh, you know, heart is, disease. That was something yeah. that Anna Wen also right, said. But but is, is this an issue of been neglecting? It's an issue of government failure, right? Is there is there a private response that would have been better? I think the Department of Justice is one we should seriously look at. They have weaponized and gone after parents that are going mm-hmm. to school boards, mm-hmm. demanding uh, about how their children are being educated, how their children are being treated at school. The, the Department of Justice has completely gone way past their bounds. You, you guys ever see that movie with Robin Williams? What was it called? He's the comedian who becomes president by accident, or he went, he runs for office. Yeah. What, what was, what was that called? Up. We yeah. watched it, and it was, it's kind of a weird movie, because it really feels like, it feels like propaganda almost. It's, it, you know, we had, we had this period Man where- Man of the Year, 2006. Where, you know, John Stewart was very popular, and people were like, John Stewart should run for office with oh Stephen gosh. Colbert or whatever. And this movie comes out where it turns out the comedian realizes he shouldn't be president, and the people don't want a populist leader. They want experts who know what to do. And I, I watched that movie, I'm just, I just find it so strange. But, uh, but, but anyway. If you're looking there's... for an analog to what's really going on, watch Idiocracy. Yeah. Oh, oh definitely. Sure. But here, here, here's, here's my point. Electrolytes. Right? Yeah. We, we have what plants crave. We, we have these tropes <laughs> that the people want a down to earth, funny guy to be, you know, uh, the, 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 the president or the leader and you end up with a Trump. And I'm like, I'm wondering if the people would just accept politicians who are like, once I get in, I'm going to vote to shut it all down. That's all I'll do. Uh, you get your money back. You figure out what you want to do with it, and then we're gonna shut down all these departments no, across the board. They want a plan. They want a. Uh, they want a dream. They want a, a, to 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 close their eyes and see the world that you're envisioning. 
I think some people do. Some people do but, want that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll, I to be honest, that's someone I would vote for. Now, maybe I'm a niche voter here, but one thing I really appreciate about both of you is that you're actually talking about reducing the size and scope of government and terminating some of these agencies. And interestingly enough, whenever someone who's conservative tries to do that and tries to go back to the way things were as a conservative is supposed to, they're called an extremist. All the establishment conservative is supposed to do is either, A, try to maintain the size of the government and maintain the institutions which were all set up by big government leftists in years prior. And the moment anyone tries to do more than that and reduce the size and scope of government, they're an extremist. Can I explain the feedback mechanism that causes that to happen in uh, Congress? Please do. So you get selected for committees based on – it's almost like a beauty pageant. And the the lobbyists are the judges. Wow. And the lobbyists who have their interests in front of those committees. And so you have to get cheerleaders on K Street – who wants you to be on that committee and oversee their stuff. So you're already self-selected for perpetuating their things. So that's why on the Armed Services Committee, they're, even when Republicans get in charge, they're not likely to repeal the vaccine mandate because they are doing, in large part, what the generals do. When I was on the Science Committee, NASA, the people at NASA write those bills and, and, and send them over. And say, this is what we want. And the congressmen are so busy and can't understand most of it. They rubber stamp it and it rolls through. And maybe some of it goes to their district and because they were chosen to be on that committee because they have something in their district that that committee funds. And it's important to their constituents so that once they get on, they want to keep funding how, it. How, how, do, how do we solve this? National divorce. Yeah, but that always will result in a civil war. It shouldn't. It's, it doesn't have to. So just like a married couple that decides that, you know, we can no longer be married, this is not working, they resolve the situation in a court, right? They don't They don't actually go to war and or they shouldn't try to kill each other. Maybe some of them do. I don't know. But they dissolve it. They dissolve their marriage in a court. And so essentially really what national divorce should look like is it should go back to how our nation is founded, where state rights were far more important than the federal government. And the federal government's role should be reduced down to a very small role. And state rights should be so strong. And so that, you know, if you want to live in a state where everyone has to be vaccinated, everyone has to wear three masks, at least three, maybe four, and then you want to have a more communist-style state uh, government. And CRT is taught in the schools. CRT, absolutely. And and all of these radical things are what we call radical, but they may love it. Sounds like Massachusetts. Or California. But they should be able to have that. And then if you're like like Kentucky or or Georgia even – or Florida, you want to have a more conservative, uh, pro-traditional family values. Let's say that you want to say, no, you, you can choose to be vaccinated or you can choose to wear a mask and you want to have a, a more free government, you should be able to the, have it. And then there's no interference. The but, federal government's not going to shrink itself. So, Amen. so here, here's the issue though. Cause, uh, you know, we had Ron Perlman. He's the celebrity who played Hellboy come out recently and say Republican states should leave and we should leave. And this discussion about national divorce has been around for a long time. But what people don't understand is that's exactly what happened in the first civil war. It wasn't like you had all of the states fighting in Congress and then all of a sudden started shooting each other. In fact, what actually happened first was several states said, we out. And they went, okay, bye. And then I actually pulled up from the Library of Congress. In January of 1861, you had uh, 11 states seceding to form the Confederacy. And Lincoln hadn't even been inaugurated until March. Yeah. It wasn't until the South started seizing forts that the North said, hey, you can't do this. 
So what would happen in the event of a national divorce? Sure, you know, California, Illinois, New York might be like, we're going to Canada or something. But then all of a sudden you're going to have one state's got a nuclear arsenal. And they're going to say, we're the true government of the United States of America and those nukes belong to us. And then uh, one of these states is whichever faction is in control of D.C. or whatever. They're going to say, no, it's ours. You can't take it. And we're going to then, you know, relocate these weapons. And that's, that's basically what happened with Fort Sumter. Let me give two examples of, of successful secession in history that everybody knows about and everybody forgets about. Mm-hmm. And, and one's very specific to your case. Uh, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union and mm-hmm. they left. There was there were a lot of uh, of those. Well, I mean, the Soviet Union collapsed. So did it? I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't the Soviet Union call it a collapse if America sort of fragmented? They would look at us and say, oh, oh yeah. your federal government got so unwieldy That's and, true. You, That's and true. you overextended your federal reserve and your army and you collapsed under your own weight. And now you're separate states. That's true. OK, so it's been done there, but it's also been done in the United States. There's one example. And I was born in the state that seceded that nobody talks about and it successfully seceded West Virginia. Excuse June, me. June, that you June, of, June of 1861, residents of the western counties of Virginia did not wish to secede along with the rest of the state. This section of Virginia was admitted into the Union as a state of West Virginia on June 20th, 1863. So they separate, they seceded f- from the Confederacy. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, but to do so, they had to split a state in half. And it's been totally accepted. We go on with life as if it's normal that a state just said, you know, we're going to separate. They didn't go back together when, when uh, Virginia came back into the Union. So a state has separate, a, a state has seceded from a state. It's happened. What about North and South Carolina, North and South Dakota? Were they once Dakota and Carolina? No. Yeah, I think no. they were always maybe yeah. as territories yeah. Yeah. for a brief moment. Gotcha. But I don't, I don't think, I think it's naive to believe that the United States is always going to exist in these perfect 50 states uh, under this, you know, under the federal government that keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. And I think it's irrational for people to think that Americans are just going to sit idly by while our federal government completely becomes tyrannical and out of control like we've watched it do over the past year. And um, no one wants violence. And I'll say again, I'm completely against the Civil War, even though the media tries to say I say things like that. I never do. But I do truly believe that if this becomes such a broken nation and we have one party that is trying to rule over like the Democrats are trying to rule over Republicans to the point where they are deciding what opinion we are allowed to say, whether we can get whether we can stay on social media or we have to leave because we're spreading what they claim is misinformation if they get to a point where they're saying we're going to control your um what you're allowed to do with your body and and what you have to have injected into your body and you have no no choice or say they're coming to the point where they're saying this is what your children have to be taught and parents you have no input or say and your and your children essentially belong to the state like some people are actually saying out loud and that's happening in the state of California and elsewhere when it gets to that point, it, you can't you can't just accept or think that Americans are going to accept it. That is when it's okay to start saying, you know what? Just like in a marriage, I don't like the way you're treating me. You you either have to change. I'm asking you to change, which is what Republicans should be saying to Democrats right now. Stop this behavior. You have to change. We all have to live here together. We should care about our country together. And if you're not, 
then we need to consider maybe we need to separate and what does that look like? But if there's one thing I think we've learned, it's that the left absolutely believes it should rule over the right. Exactly. And that's just authoritarianism in general, this right. idea of a leftist, this weird the, authoritarian bent. Whatever the libertarian side of things are, the freedom, which includes a large faction of people, they're basically saying, leave me alone. I'll go do my thing. Leave me alone. But they're saying, no, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're going to do as you're told or mm-hmm. else. Yeah. That doesn't sound like you can have a peaceful divorce. I mean, you've got a husband and a wife and the wife's saying, I want to leave. And the husband's like, don't you dare or else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to need more than just a, a court order. You're going to need police intervention and protections. So maybe, you know, when you see people like Ron Perlman, when you see like John Podesta and Donna Brazil in that 2020 scenario they did with the, the Boston Globe reported on where they advocated Western states secede from the union if Donald Trump wins the election again. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they will be willing to say, fine, we're out. Right. I, I will I will tell you what I love the most about this trope is that the, the, the urban the, the city urban liberal types are convinced that they will flourish and the red states and Republicans will suffer. And I'm like, do you know how to uh, take care of chickens, for instance? <laughs> Where do you get your food from? <laughs> oh, your avocados from Mexico were shipped in to your win- to, in, in the middle of winter and you're having strawberries and avocado, your strawberry yogurt with your avocados. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to grow your own food. If you don't know how to, and it's not even about growing your own food. We learned this lesson. We planted, you, you probably understand this. We planted all the tomatoes at once. And that's yeah. a big mistake. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you plant them one week at a time so that they, the tomatoes ripen not all at once. Otherwise, you're eating 50 tomatoes all at once. We didn't know that. Because <laughs> we're a bunch of city folks who moved out to the middle of nowhere. But the people who live in these cities, they get their food shipped in. They do jobs like writing at BuzzFeed or working for, you know, bureaucratic firms or administrative firms or managerial firms. Mm -hmm. They're not the ones that, for for the most part, are making the machine churn. Mm -hmm. So in the event there was a major divorce, I don't think city, I think cities are going to just implode. They're going to go nuts. Yeah. Well, Tim, what you're not factoring in is that all of those blue states have the Reddit moderators who walk dogs for 25 hours a week. And I don't (laughs) know that we could stand to lose them. In all seriousness, (laughs) in all seriousness, one of the, the issues in this this isn't just a problem with national divorce or the the union remaining together or whatever the alternative is here it's just an issue of the full like the philosophical differences between left and right here at least as they exist today it's not so much that right-leaning people are all saying i want to mind my own business i want you to mind your own business there's certainly that faction on the right but even the right-leaning people who would like to see stronger government action tend to be much more in favor of local solutions whereas with left-wing people they feel this unquenchable desire to change things unbelievably far away from them that they have no business meddling in while problems fester Mm. all over their own community. And part of it is because I believe that those external problems are much more abstract. And these are people who aren't really interested in engaging with reality. And it feels really good to say, I'm going to affect change and make the world better without actually doing anything in your own local community. And so they end up voting for policies that will affect the way other people live their lives without making any personal sacrifices of their own. And Mm so whether we have a a national divorce, whether the country stays together, that tendency is not going to change with those people. I've got another potential solution than national divorce as a solution to like the corruption, the revolving door of people coming out, people getting bribed. Maybe we can set up a direct republic. Right now, for a long time, I've been thinking, I I don't think we need the House of Representatives. I used to talk to Mike Gravel, and he wanted to set up what's called the National Initiative. The idea that every American citizen has the right to write laws and pass it into the Senate. Mm -hmm. And we would all create... Our own representative from our state, so we'd have 50 representatives of the national initiative. We, we, in his world, we still had the House of Representatives, but I see them getting bribed. 
and I'm, there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vulnerability in the system. What if it was a smart contract? And all of the representatives, these 800,000 people, vote for the way they want their contract to act while it's in service. And as long as it's there, it's just voting yay or nay as the populace directs it. I, wow. f- I find the notion of going to more of, I know you call it a republic, but more of a democratic type solution terrifying. Well, I would call it a direct republic. It's actually less of a democratic solution. Or it's equally democratic. Let, let me, let me uh, be fair and condemn my uh, colleagues at the same time. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't blame AOC for what she does. I don't uh, – 95% of my colleagues, I don't question their motives or blame them for their behavior, even though it's wrong most of the time. I blame the people that voted for them. They're actually responding to the people that elected them. That's the even as you can say all you want about the lobbyists and the money. And I have talked about how the committees are messed up that way. But the individuals who get elected are are fairly <laughs> reflective. What, what bothers yeah, me is well, when they say, when you vote for me, I'm going to say yes to dog walkers. And then they get in. They're like, I'm going to vote no on that. And you're like, what recourse <laughs> yeah. do I have now as yeah. a voter? I, I right. already this is well, what I chose. Yeah. Well, in, I think in, what in we the House, do, every though. two years, you could throw them out. That is true. We have to get That's be elected every time. two years. In, in, in today's age, so, two years is forever. It's no, so long. But hold on, hold on. So so much can when, happen when in you a day get, now. When you get a Ron Paul, I mean, how, how many terms did he serve? He served a, a lot. He was there for a long. He time. served for a while, and then he came back at, in like '96 because he 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 got dis he you know disillusioned. Didn't yeah. think it was fixable. But my understanding and then is came that came back after he ran for president. My understanding is the reason he won is because people really like him, right? Is that, is that is that true? I, I don't live in his district. So was it that people just vote Republican? It didn't matter. It was Ron Paul. It, the, the reason most people win is people like them. You Nancy have, Pelosi. They people love like her. her. Oh, they love her in, in San Francisco. No, oh, this yeah, is, they love her in San Francisco. You know, I, I'd like to think that people elect an ideology or or uh, but in reality, they look for people they like. They do. You, it's very, What's the very, like about you know? I, 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 Marjorie, I think you're correct. We just can't live with these people anymore. If they like, <laughs> if they Nancy, like Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi and find something good in her, I'm just lost. I don't, I don't I'm know. Joining how we, my movement, you must find the yeah. love for all humans. Yeah. I have a second well, also, thing. Can, can I, I, I can't understand that worldview. I just can't. I just want to throw one more thing in here about national divorce. I sort of mentioned that even if we break up the the federal government, even if all the states go their separate way, one group is still going to have a desire to control. And obviously, they couldn't do that to the federal government at that point. But when you look at so much of the actual censorship that the American people are facing, it's coming from large corporations. Yes. And that kind of thing is always going to be weaponized. I well, mean, national divorce or not. It would depend on your states and how they're set up. Mm, but here's something. Fair. Here's a second thing that I think everyone should think about. While we're fighting out our differences here in the United States and among one another as Americans, the biggest thing that upsets me is as Americans, we aren't coming together as a whole and saying we can put aside our petty differences and our opinions. What we should be standing together on is we should be standing against China. We should be standing against globalism because if you want to talk about authoritarianism and you want to talk about people that really yeah. want to rule over us, China is a direct threat to our entire existence. And let me tell you something else. China is embedded in the United States. There are politicians, people that Thomas and I work with that are completely sold out. I, if you have not read Peter Schweitzer's book, the new book that has come out, oh, yeah. I highly encourage you to read Great it. Guess. You oh, would yeah. be shocked. There's a, there's a whole, whole chapter on Diane Feinstein. That woman has been there probably longer than all of us have been alive. 
They have made so much money through yeah. corporate connections, um, policy uh, deals that she was willing to make through her powerful position as a senator uh, with her husband, stock deals, money, investments. I mean, it is it is outrageous that this actually happened, but it's not just them. It's happened over and over and over again with people in power right here in our country. And this is the kind of thing that I think we should come together on. Republicans and Democrats? Yes, both parties. Both parties. Sold All out. All parties. There's more yep. than two. That's when people say both. I think they're missing the mark because there are many, many political parties. We well, talked about this before the show. You said Congress. Thomas, you were telling me yeah. it's like set up for a two-party, literally built with the fact that there's an aisle forces you into two halves. Tell me more about this. Every, you said there's coat rooms. There's a cloak room. There are two cloak rooms. There aren't three. I've thought about this because I feel like a transpartisan some days. <laughs> I don't know which cloakroom to go into. But because there's only two and they shoehorn, you know, there's probably six or seven kinds of, of parties that aren't named in our country right now. But then you shoehorn them into two parties. Mm-hmm. Every committee hearing room has two back rooms. You, t- you know, you hear about backroom deals. Okay, they literally call them back rooms. And there are exactly two back rooms with every committee hearing room. They even have a smoking section, mm. right? Yes. A smoking section? Yeah. It's like there's a Democrat smoking section or a Republican smoking section? In the cloakrooms, there's a smoking section. Oh, okay. Wow. But it's built, into, right. the, it's built into the architecture. That's it incredible. would be really hard. And it's built into the rules. Like every committee, they say, well, we're going to apportion the committee based on the majority and minority party. The fact right. that there's a, a, a majority leader and a minority leader. And it should probably cap it like we're going to set like each party, 10 parties, and you want 20 committee members. That means there can be two from each party. And then that will incentivize people to go to other parties that don't have that many people yet so they have a better chance of getting on a committee. I'm sure there's a better way to do it. I am absolutely certain. <laughs> well, then what it, what can we do? I, I'll, let me just elaborate a little bit. I mean, you mentioned last time you were here. There's like, what you, what do you say, 10 Democrats on one side, 10 Republicans, and there's some random guy reading going like, this bill says this, Democrats, uh, Republicans, uh, Democrats get it, bang. Like, that happens? Yes. That, oh, uh, yeah. That, that, that just says Every to me, day. Congress is, 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 is broken. It's theater. Theater. Mm. So what do we do to fix that, that, that? Well, we've theater. asked for recorded votes all year. Um, so for this, this past year in 2021, uh, I believe there's been over 490 bills that we've requested recorded votes. That that hasn't happened in a very long time in Congress. And this this is amazing, and this is what inspires me uh, uh, and gives me hope going forward. You're looking for some kind of hope. Marjorie Taylor Greene gives me hope. Like on March 27th, 2020, I was the only person asking for a recorded vote on the biggest spending bill in history. It was verboten to do that. It was not acceptable. And then Marjorie came and just made it the normal course that, yeah, we're going to vote on everything. She didn't have committees, so she sat on the floor. There were, you know, if there were going to be three people in there, there was going to be one more, and it was Marjorie. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And she just started asking for recorded votes. But there there are a dozen other people who Mm -hmm. will take turns watching the floor and asking for votes. When you went in and demanded that everybody come in and vote, how long did it take between when you went in and when they all got there? Real, real quick, I, I need, I need to, you guys, yeah, this is this. Bad. You, you've, you've, you've set up a system now where among the real people in Congress, we have a schedule. 
you make sure there's someone Shift. there to demand a recorded vote. We take vote. turns every single week we're there in session. We sign up for it and we, I mean, we sit on the floor. Sometimes we're texting each other. No one's down there or I have a meeting. I can't go. And we work our way around and we make sure. <laughs> Here's what's disturbing. That's amazing. Okay. It is amazing and it's inspiring because it used to be me and I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Which, and I'm pretty sure that. And then I ended up being in that position right. and oh, it's miserable. Oh, and then they vote when you walk out of the room? Yes. yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, they do. Oh my gosh. Wow. They literally wait for you to leave. In fact, that may have been why on March 27th the president called me. It's while the to get I think, you out of the room. Yeah, to get me out of the room. I'm not wow. sure if they had timed it that well, but I I stayed and let, let the me, calls go to voicemail. Let me let me just uh, but, but but let me just say, so that's inspiring what that we've got shifts and stuff, but that's what your party leadership's supposed to do. The, the minority leader and the minority whip, they've got a dozen staff members on the floor that know exactly what's going to happen next. They're working on the script with Nancy Pelosi. They know which bills are coming, and they should be asking for the votes. So let me tell you a funny story. Um, motion to adjourn. You know, I, I love motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn is, is something any member of Congress can step up and make a motion to adjourn. That, that it calls for everyone to have to vote to end Congress for the day. And I believe oftentimes Congress is so out of control. I love to make a motion to adjourn. Well, recently I, I came down to the House floor and I was going to make a motion to adjourn. And, um, Nancy Pelosi found out because I told one of the, one of the floor staffers that I was going to do it. <laughs> so she came out and she opened the, the day, you know, she started the whole day and is, and she looked at me directly and she was talking faster than normal. You could tell she was irritated. And then you know what she did? She said, the house will be in recess. And she didn't let anyone do their one minute speeches. And there were several members that were really mad at me because they didn't get to do their one-minute speeches because they knew it was because I was going to do a motion to adjourn. Wow! <laughs> but they do they they talk. I want I want to I want to let you know that uh, after the first time you came on, I had people messaging me, friends and family, saying, "When I heard that Congress doesn't actually go and vote, and Marjorie said she started demanding it and forcing them to do their jobs, people were like, that was the moment I realized she was great and she was amazing and I loved her." I didn't. I didn't know. I mean, you come here and tell me that uh, the stuff about how they—they're basically just not doing their jobs. You tell us this stuff. You talk about how uh, they'll they'll wait for you to leave the room before voting. I don't think regular people realize how broken the whole system really is. Or, or, or more specifically, you say they don't enforce the masking until the, uh, in areas where there's no cameras. It's all for show. I think when you tell people that. Congress's approval rating is so, so far in the gutter Should that be. they're willing to believe it. And then when you mention, oh, yeah, and we're rotating shifts to make sure they all have to do their jobs, I'm sure people started laughing their asses off when they heard that. Well, it, let's not say who the member is. Can we agree if yes, I tell I this agree. story? Yes, okay. I agree. <laughs> so, so Marjorie had asked for a recorded vote, and, it, and people were going to miss some fundraisers, and they were really mad. And this was, uh, And I saw people one at a time coming up to Marjorie and just saying stuff to her. And so I not went, nice things. So I went and sat next to her, and and one of our colleagues sat next to her as well, Scott Perry, great mm -hmm. guy, great guy. Thinking that they wouldn't have the audacity to come up and and yell at a woman for actually just doing her job. Well, an individual did, and I'm not going to name him. And and he started mansplaining to Marjorie. <laughs> he literally <laughs> said, over me, he said, I know you're trying really hard to do this job, and I know you care a lot. But you need to be thoughtful about this. And a after about 
of 60 seconds that I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, you know what? If your constituents could see you, if they could hear you right now, they would be so upset with you. Mm-hmm. You got to say who it is. And no, no, no. And then he turned because we got to be friends. So he turned his ire to me and said, you, you worry about your own district. I know what my constituents want. Uh, and I'll take care of my votes and you take care of yours and you mind your own business. And I said, you know what? If you, if you're that certain that your constituents are happy with what you're saying, go down to the microphone, say it in front of the camera, uh-huh. let them hear it. I'm still shocked well, that it's not live streamed. All that action yeah. with little mic lapels so that we can just watch you guys. It and should be. It's not like your puppets, but I mean, we, I we what, are, what a reality I would, show. I would, oh, yeah. I'd give anything for a reality show, yeah, but I want to tell you something. <laughs> Thomas Massey was the first person to stand up for me. And that was the first time it happened. The rest of the time, I had been berated and taking so much mm. anger and, and horrible things from other Republicans that were mad at me for, for asking for recorded votes because they were going to be on record. They're but, cowards. But Thomas Massey stood up for you. And you want to know why? He talked. He's talked about he, – he went – and was forcing everyone to come back to Washington when on the biggest spending, biggest spending bill in this pandemic that in our nation's history. And he was saying, our constitution is still intact. This is so important. We have to vote on this. And you wouldn't have believed what he had to go through. I mean, I love President Trump, but he, he had to deal with the phone calls and the tweets. <laughs> And everyone mad and angry at him. And then he, he had his colleagues mad and angry at him. And everyone called him nonstop trying to talk him out of it. And he still stood firm. And he stood firm. And he made sure our Constitution stayed intact. And this is such an incredible story. I, I truly think it's an important part of our history that Thomas Massey did that during this uh, COVID-19 bioweapon. I'll, I'll say that. I think it's that. And we have to prove it. But but during this, what was happening to our country, we had one member of Congress willing to make sure that our Constitution stood in this in this historic time. I'll be I'll be honest. I think I I was even critical. I think at the time my reaction was like, now's not the time for grandstanding when we're being shut down and we're in desperate need of aid and relief. And but I'll make mistakes. Yeah. I think you know now but, I look um, back at the mass spending and the disaster that it's been. By, by the way, there's they roll out contingency government plans when things stop working. When the three branches quit functioning, they've got a contingency plan, and it is not pretty. Directive fifty one, not familiar? no, not, uh, not area fifty one. No, 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 no presidential not, directive fifty one. Not familiar with that, but that was uh, uh, it's been updated. But uh, George W. Bush signed into uh, uh, an executive order called Pre- National Security Presidential Directive fifty one, which unilaterally grants the executive branch the right in any disaster to reform the government under one branch, under the executive branch, where they would have a national continuity coordinator who would control the other branches effectively. And their justification is a mass casualty event anywhere in the world, a financial disaster anywhere in the world. It's been updated since then and expanded, but it's never been tested because it's an executive decree. Mm -hmm. So we'd see, we'll see how that could ever play out if it could. I want to mention something. You just uh, said that you believe that COVID is a bioweapon. It's interesting because according to Dr. Francis Boyle, who drafted the American implementation of the national, or I'm sorry, of the International Bioweapons Convention, any disease or virus created through gain-of-function research is a de facto bioweapon. It doesn't have to have been made with the intent necessarily of being a bioweapon. The reason this is so easy to get fuzzy on and why they can deny that it is one is because they can argue, well, yes, we used gain of function research 
to create this virus, but we were only making it because if someone else made the same virus, we would want to have it first so we could know how to cure it. But that's like saying, well, my gun isn't a weapon because the reason I have it is just to study it, take it apart, clean it. I don't plan on using it. Well, whether you plan on using it or not, it is still a weapon. And if these were, if this was created through gain of function research, it's a biological weapon, whether they claim that was the purpose or not. And that is, again, according to the man who literally authored the legislation on what a biological weapon is. By I the agree. Way, my analogy, extending on that, is they were playing with matches and the house caught on fire. Yes. And they said, well, we were playing with matches, so we would know how to put a house out. Exactly. They weren't matches. But guess what? They ran. They didn't, mm-hmm. they did not try to put the house out. Mm-hmm. They ran away and, and denied they were playing with matches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and then denied that they were matches in the first place. This wasn't a match. A bat came in and lit this place on fire. <laughs> well, look, look, when you, when you get John Stewart coming out and making those accusations on Stephen Colbert's show, this is not a fringe idea. This is something the American people believe. But let's go to Super Chats. For those that haven't, smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends, and make sure you go to TimCast.com, become a member. We're going to have a members-only segment coming up at about 11 p.m. over at TimCast.com. You're not going to want to miss that. But let's read some Super Chats. We'll start with this one. I'm going to try and find, I'm going to try and keep it to questions for uh, um, Thomas and Marjorie. We have this one from Random Eskimo. He says, please ask Marjorie Taylor Greene what she thinks about Stacey Abrams saying people complained about her. Because it was Black History Month. I've seen racism in my life, but whining is not a solution. Crack pipes matter. Well, all right then. But not on the taxpayer's dime. Um, no, what I have to say to Stacey Abrams is hiding behind Black History Reading Month is racist. I think that's a racist claim. No, what she had to do, what she was doing sitting on the floor, um, sitting there as a high risk person uh, with COVID-19 and her obesity unmasked uh, while children are being forced to wear masks and they are not at high risk. That has nothing to do with black history month. That has everything to do with being uh, an authoritarian elite candidate for governor that I hope to God we defeat and never allow to become, become our governor. Who's running against her? Beautifully said. Who's, you know who's running against her? Well, we're, we're having the primaries right now. She has no one being challenged. No one's challenging her. But we have Governor, uh, Brian Kemp is a Republican in the primary. David Perdue is a Republican in the primary. Vernon Jones just dropped out and moved to, uh, the 10th Congressional District in Georgia. And then there's one, uh, remaining candidate, uh, Candace Taylor is, is also in the Republican primary. All right, we have this from Matthew Hammond. He says, could we end baseline budgeting if Republicans retake the House? What What is baseline budgeting? It's it's saying that we're, we're only, we're going to start with the budget we had last year, and we're only going to add to it. Uh, what we need to end, here's the biggest change we could do. Quit passing omnibus bills. Yes. Where we, When we make all of the spun, spending in one bill, for instance, here's what they do. The pay raise for the soldier is always in the omnibus bill. Mm -hmm. So they threaten you, especially if you're in a Republican primary. You go back home and you explain why you didn't vote for this pay raise for Mm -hmm. these soldiers. Well, guess what else was in there? Everything. Mm -hmm. Gain-of-function funding is in there for Wuhan. Well, well, well. How did, how did, I was, I saw that, I saw that video of like the, they're, they're carting in the 5,000 pages of the omnibus bill. Who gets to add stuff to it? How does how does how does stuff get in there? Can you guys add stuff it's to it? Pre- it's already written. You know, uh, if we tried to change one penny, let's say the total of it was a certain number, it's impossible to change a penny because the agreement has already been made between parties that aren't voting on it. 
And if we were to actually change it, they'd have to go back in that room with the secret folks. So do and, it. And well, our leadership doesn't want it to change. They want thing. They don't want the government to shut down. They want, don't want to get blamed for that. Here's what's going to happen. Next Congress, when we take the majority, it's going to be our omnibus bill. Mm-hmm. Now, it should, and I would like to explain why it shouldn't be an omnibus bill. But it's going to be our omnibus bill, and they're going to go to all the freshmen who've never been in the majority. I hope they're listening to your podcast. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> sure they and, and they're going to say, look, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than us. We, we need to get a president who can sign our bills. So we don't need any drama. Don't try to defund anything in this. Let's get to 2024. Let's use what we got in 2022 to get to 2024. Let's have hearings that make Biden look bad so that we can get our president elected and you just vote for the omnibus. No drama there. And and it will be our whip team who is whipping Republican members to vote for an omnibus. What we should do instead, we should vote on the 12 separate bills. The, the bill that funds the military should be voted on separately from the bill that funds the Department of Justice. For Through instance. appropriations. Through 12 separate appropriations mm-hmm. bills. In fact, I would vote on 400 different bills, frankly. I would totally agree. And, and, and that, I'll roll call every single one of them. And that way, <laughs> if you leave, if one of them would have had gain of function in it and you left it out. Yeah. And then you don't get into the, uh, this grudge match with the president where the government shuts down, the president doesn't have anything to sign that has it in there. You don't even give him that option to fund those things you don't want. Mm-hmm. You give him separate bills. It's like the reverse of a line item veto. It just who's makes gonna, so much sense. Who's going to be the uh, Speaker of the House when Republicans take the majority? Well, Kevin we McCarthy. only have one person running, or that we know is running, which is Kevin McCarthy. That's a so mistake. There's, but there's no one else running, so we, you know... Can I tell you, I was, I was a, I, I was a part of three coups against John Boehner, architected the second two coups, one with Jim Bridenstine and one with Mark Meadows. The third one worked, our third coup against Boehner. The, the saddest day ever of my life in Congress is when the Freedom Caucus agreed to vote for Paul Ryan. I was, uh, the second time Paul Ryan was elected, I was the only Republican who would not vote for him. What, what would happen the if, only uh, one? the only Republican, every single Republican, Marjorie, that you serve with voted for Paul Ryan oh. if they were there when Paul Ryan, except for me, when, uh, after, I think it's January 3rd, right? Everybody comes in and you have the orientation yeah. over. So then you're going to vote on the speaker and it's going to be Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy, right? Well, no. Yes. So our body is a majority controlled body. The body of Congress is. So whichever party is the majority control, that that's the party that will be choosing the speaker. Well, no, no, now, of course. Unless but they I mean, defected. Yeah. And but but right. I mean, Nancy Pelosi you will can, be running. You can you can introduce other candidates right there, live time on the floor to the clerk before there's a speaker. In fact, we were the first people to do it. Uh, in the second coup against Boehner, we introduced three alternate candidates after both parties introduced theirs. We think it may have been the first time since the country was was founded that that actually happened. I'm just I'm wondering. Uh, so you're you're in the majority. You're going to win. But you know, we Nancy, hope. Nancy. Well, like let's say the Republicans win the majority. Mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy. There will be a vote. People will be voting for Nancy Pelosi. She's just going to lose. Oh yeah, right. right. So right. what would happen if you guys told the Republican establishment if you if you choose Kevin McCarthy, we will not vote in favor of them. Hands down, no negotiating, done. What would happen if you didn't vote for him? Oh, would okay. Pelosi so, be speaker? No, no, she would not. So you have mm-hmm. to get a majority of those present and voting. 
So let's say the Freedom Caucus peeled off. Let's say we had a majority of 15, 15 more Republicans than Democrats, and 20 Republicans refused to vote for the conference selection of, that the GOP had selected. Let's say it was Kevin. There would be there would have to be another vote. There would be a second vote. And then if those 20, again, disagreed to do it, the, probably the Republicans would go back into behind closed doors, the conference, and, and pick somebody that could get a majority on the floor. That sounds like a great— but, By the way— great. I'm explaining this. I'm not advocating for it. I'm telling you, I've, I led three coup, or I led two coups against Boehner, co-led, was a, was a willing but stupid participant in the first coup, never voted for Paul Ryan. But here's what I think the problem is. We were, that was too simple of a solution. The definition, the job definition of speaker needs to change. It's not about who you choose as speaker. And a hundred years ago, they changed the, they were successful in devolving power from the speaker. This is what needs to happen. The speaker shouldn't be telling the chairman which bills to bring forward. The chairman should be bringing the bills from their committees to the speaker and mm-hmm. say, this came out of our committee. The, and, and then that's how it should work. And I All think right. we should, I think individual members of Congress should be able to bring bills to the floor and ask for a vote. I don't think it should be completely controlled. We, we certainly used to be able to do that before you got there with amendments. We could, on the appropriations bill, uh, any member of Congress could walk up to the floor with their amendment and get a vote on wow. it. It should be back to that. Because it, it, right now, we can, like, if I have a bill, I cannot get it to the floor for a vote unless I have 218 members of Congress sign to, wow. for, for it to be voted on. In person or digitally? You know, you know, I'll. In person. I just want, I, we gotta read more, but I do want to add, I hope that, uh, when it comes to the omnibus bill, y'all just slip in abolishing the NFA and the <laughs> ATF. And it's like, well, it's in there, you, you gotta do it. But let, let's read this. We got, uh, Sharkbite Biz says, Marjorie, why don't you sue Big Tech for their bans as illegal, undisclosed election donations they are? It promotes and gives free publicity, marketing, reach to your competition during an election. This is a clear campaign donation. Also, check out our show, Sharkbite Biz, on YouTube. Ooh, Sharkbite Biz, you're very smart. Well, I haven't said that I'm not going to sue them, so thank you for bringing that up. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, right. Twitter Twitter is not out of the woods. Beautiful. All right. Okay, let's see. Josh says, have either of you heard about Madison Cawthorn's new term limits bill? Thoughts on it? Thanks for all both of you do for our nation. I ha- I know about it. I just learned about it this week. I don't know the details on it. Um, I, I've already signed the term limits pledge, uh, but I'm not going to term limit myself unless there was an actual law passed. Uh, I, I don't want to see what I consider to be the good guys leave on their own when the bad guys are definitely not going to leave and have no intention to do so. Right. That's that's always the big issue because whenever I talk about term limits, I'm like, didn't we all like Ron Paul being in for as long as he was in? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, exactly. So. I don't know his particular bill. I've taken the pledge. I sponsored the term limit bills. I'd vote for them um, if we could get them to the floor. If we could get them but to I the think floor. it's like a it's like a cotton candy solution. I call them. Yeah. It tastes good, but there's nothing of, of uh, that's going to stay with you. Um, yeah. It might give you a sugar high. People um, they raise a lot of money. They push this issue. They would be mm-hmm. a lot better off spending their time trying to fix the broken process in Congress. Because even and here's the question I ask: um, Okay, who voted for us bozos? Okay, <laughs> somebody <laughs> voted for us, and we're there. So replace all of us bozos. Who gets to pick the next set of bozos? Right. The same set that picked these bozos. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Mohav says yesterday Tim Pool claimed that Generation X is politically weak. Some of my fellow Gen Xers include Marjorie Taylor Greene, Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, and Ron DeSantis. 
when I said that, I don't mean that every single Gen Xer is incapable of doing politics. I said that when, you, like, by politically weak, you look at millennials, they won't shut up. They're screaming at the top of their lungs, banging on the walls, making demands, and they're getting a lot of it. Mm. Gen Xers are like most of them removed and chilling and not really involved. Well, we were left at home a lot as kids. I think we're it's the latch, latch latch key kids. Kids. <laughs> I think it's because we didn't have the internet when we were growing up. So like mm-hmm. a lot of Gen Xers don't really understand it. Like Alex or uh, Cortez, she's like, dude does Twitter and gets like 30 million, whatever. Cause she's like young millennial knows the internet so well and knows how to work the algorithm. And so it looks like people well, that aren't Twitter probably boost her. Whereas somebody like me, Twitter's like, no, well, yeah. I also think it's sort of a truism that the, the rebels are always on the college campuses, the, the revolutionaries and, um, the old people vote and maybe Gen Xers, maybe we're just between the college revolutionaries and the old people who vote. And maybe, maybe. it's just our phase of life. I right hope now. a lot of those truckers are Gen Xers. I, I'm just, <laughs> I, gosh, this I love truckers right now. All right, here's a here's one from Gabe. He says, who can small businesses go to about demanding that ESG scores not become a norm? If this is not possible, how can we make sure the ESG rating agencies give a fair score? Mm. Are you all familiar with the ESGs? What is it? Environmental social good score? Social, uh, environmental social governance. 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 Thank you, Lydia. I don't think we should have any of those. I, I'm not a climate change person. It's, I, it's even I worse than well, that. Well, it's CRT. Yes, I don't think, yes, it's CRT. Yeah. So I don't think there should be a scoring system. Uh, and, and everything's set up to hurt small businesses, right? If you're a big corporation, it is, oh gosh, everything goes your way. But if you're a small business, if you're the little guy, you're fighting so many things and so many regulations and so many different taxes and you're a small shop, you're a small operation, you might be a mom and pop store or, or a single mom just trying to run your little business and you don't have the big um, accounting department and you don't have the attorneys over here to help you with all these issues. And then when you come to an ESG issue, it's just completely, it's, it's another whole level that makes it impossible to compete. And right. these are the type of regulations and ridiculous things we have to stop and repeal and, and and make sure that we allow small businesses to be able to compete fairly with the larger corporations. This, this shouldn't exist for a big company or a small company, but reg, almost all regulations are scale prejudicial. Mm. Yep. They, they are harder for the small guys to comply with, whether it's food regulations or, or ESG regulations, or financial. Wages. You said almost. What are some that aren't? And off the top of your head, you have any I can't, ideas? I don't have any off the top of my head. If you could build like log. I'm just protecting myself against the fact checkers. All right, let me. <laughs> let me here's, here's, Mostly here's, false. I'm they find, if they find one, then I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, All right. And that'll be the we only got, headline. <laughs> Vanessa Aponte says, did Mr. Massey vote yes on the Trump impeachment twice? And if so, why? No, I did, I did not vote no. on Trump impeachment. Mm-mm. You didn't vote or you voted no? I voted no. You voted against it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was curious about that, that question. But there you go. What, what they um, what they might be recalling, and I shouldn't maybe advertise my unpopular <laughs> as- votes or aspects, but um, I voted to certify the election. Oh right, right, right. And um, yeah, voted, I'm not I'm not a proponent of the fraud theory or anything like that. Well, and, and Marjorie, and I were on different sides of mm-hmm. this. Uh, but here's my concern: the, you know, the Constitution pretty clearly says that the state legislatures decide. And so I said before we got to the vote, many weeks before, I said, if a state legislature tells me that their authority was usurped by uh, their governor or their secretary of state or the judiciary branch, if, if a majority of either branch of their state government says that, then I can't certify their electors. But if they won't tell me that their authority was usurped, 
then maybe they wanted it to be done that way and maybe they would have voted it that way. I can't read. It's like this. If you leave $10 on the table and somebody picks it up and walks off with it and you're okay with it, did they steal it? This is something important people need to understand, uh, not to derail too much, but uh, just the issues we've been having legally. There are a lot of people that want us to cut cut slack on you know people who have, let's just say violated our security, but we, we literally can't. We, 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 you know, we, we, we had a guy who trespassed. I'll just, I'll just get into it. We had a guy who trespassed and, uh, we talked to the cops and the cop, well, he didn't trespass. He, it's burglary. Mm-hmm. So we have a no trespassing sign. The moment he crossed the sign, he was officially committing a crime because there's two actually. It's a big driveway. It's a, it's very, very long. It's like a thousand feet. And then he came up to the house and entered the building, which officially becomes fourth degree burglary. We, we talked to the cop and the cop said, if you don't enforce this, you lose standing in the future to enforce similar actions. Like it, it, be, it becomes a weaker position for you because they'll say you're selective. Jeez, it's in, like the system's set up to make you a, become an authoritarian I think if it's you want reasonable. to run a business. No, I, I think it's reasonable. Listen, if you claim that you don't allow strangers to come to your property, but then some of them you do, a judge is going to look at you and be like, no, dude. what's the reason for your selective enforcement? I feel like people of, get know? into power and then they're like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to send troops into the war. Like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do the <laughs> violence. So not to derail, <laughs> but just that, you know... By the way, the other concern while I'm talking about that is if the, if we get in the habit of Congress overriding whatever the the election system produced, then now we've nationalized elections and yeah. states like Kentucky don't fare well when uh, when you do things that way. Well, I just think the, the the strategy needs to be, you know, right now ground game for Republicans. I think Republicans need to be resisting the the voting changes. I think the Democrats are trying to push push uh, push their uh, voter uh, overhaul bill, and that is... The Electoral College Act. That's well, the one you're oh, talking that, about? Well, no, they, 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 they call it the Voting Rights Bill, but oh, that's a media manipulation. Bill. That's the Democrats' bill, yeah. What, what Republicans need to understand, and I, th- I feel like this is lost on so many people, the reason universal mail-in voting is so advantageous to Democrats is because Democrats live in dense urban populations mm-hmm. where two activists can hit a thousand doors in a day. Whereas for Republicans in more rural areas, you're driving miles That's to right. each house. That's right. So look, a Democrat activist knocks on a door. Hey, see that thing on the ground? Fill it out right now. Just do it. I'll wait. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go to the next door. Do it. Republicans got to drive. Dude, in, in the cities, you can go down to the lobby and throw it in the outgoing mailbox. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. ridiculously easy for Democrats to vote that way. It is. So it, it, I think voting should not be blindly easy and anybody who argues voting should be super easy no it shouldn't no that, you shouldn't have to show an id it should be an act that you take on yourself you willingly go to cast your vote and and it has you have to have proof of identification that you're a citizen proof of your address it has to be very secure but the other thing about objecting i objected on january 6 and i would do it again and the reason why i believe it was so important to do it is because there were thousands of people that signed their name at risk of perjuring themselves in a court of law saying that they had witnessed voter fraud. And those affidavits, I, I believed, were very important. And as a representative, an elective representative of the people in my district, I felt like I needed to represent what they were saying. And they're at that time were not able to prove what they were saying in court. And so I did object to, to key states. But, you know, that's the great thing about, like, Thomas and I, we may not have done the same thing on January 6th, and he didn't do anything wrong, and he has always supported President Trump and, and definitely, actually probably supported Trump in many ways that people didn't support President Trump. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand. Um, but as far as objecting, I just, I think our election system is, 
we it is so valuable and we have to make sure that it's always protected do you know the moment that it was certain all 50 states would do mail-in ballots was on march 27th 2020 when congress said it's too dangerous for us to show up and vote so we're going to do all this by remote control and and republicans agreed except for me marjorie wasn't there yet and and i said no you've got to show up and vote well, you had the president and a majority of Republicans in Congress arguing it was too dangerous for congressmen who have good health care and security. It was too dangerous for them to actually show up and vote. So then how do you then make the argument that everybody else should show up and vote? It's pretty hard to get that high ground. All right, let's read some more. We got a wow. couple here. Zimemaru says, Marjorie, my mom thinks you're racist because you said something bad about Kwanzaa. I'm black and I don't care about Kwanzaa either. But can you say something to convince her you aren't racist or hate black people? I, I, I don't think know how you're that, supposed to do that. I don't either. It, it's, it's definitely that accusation is not true of me and all my friends and family that know me personally would never say that about me. Um, just because I said that, that Kwanzaa, I called it a fake holiday. I don't think it's something that should be promoted and, and, you know, I mean, they can promote it and anyone can celebrate anything. That's the great freedom we have in our country and, and for people that care about it. But the founder of Kwanzaa is someone that actually murdered two women. Oh, wow. And this mm-hmm. is, this yeah. was a, a very radical extremist, the man that founded Kwanzaa. Um, I think people should understand the person behind Kwanzaa and, and the person that started this movement. Um, and it's not at all what is talked about today in those terms. So when I had talked about Kwanzaa, it was, um, you know, I'm not impressed with a holiday that started by someone with such radical beliefs. Uh, but it has nothing to do with anyone's skin color. I, I don't like identity politics. I don't engage in it. I could care less. Um, that's not something that matters to me. The creator was Maulana right. Karenga, mm-hmm. and I believe it was created in California. Yes. All right. We got one from Lance. He says, Tim, if you're okay with citizens owning all forms of arms, how do you keep people from turning the country into an actual war zone? What punishments do you put in place for those who use these weapons on each other? Well, the same, uh, you know, we, we've, we've had a very hard time stopping American citizens from shooting each other in mass warfare. No, we haven't. People have guns. They walk around West Virginia all the time. There's people who walk around with AR-15s. There's people who walk around with guns on every part of their body they can carry a gun on. You know, the funny thing about the left's arguments on gun control, or I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I always got to correct myself. The democratic establishment, because leftists, true leftists, love guns. True. Just not as soon as they seize power, then they want to take your guns away. <laughs> but uh, for, for the establishment players who want to ban guns, you know, how do you stop people from running over, uh, running over other people? Why, why is, why do they never discuss, well, how would you stop someone from getting in their car and running people over? It's like, well, sometimes that happens. It's, it's just horrifying. And then we arrest them and we put them in jail. And intentionally. Or- yeah, Remember the right. parade? Everyone wants to forget about the Christmas parade. Of course. Really oh, if, that's right. As if so, it never happened. My, my point, it's heartbreaking. My, my point is not that uh, cars are intentional weapons. My point is that people drive around multi-ton objects all day, every day, and I'm not worried about them ramming into each other and having destruction derbies in parking lots or anything like that. And when you actually live in a state where everybody's armed all the time, do you, you, you never ask yourself, well, gee, I was walking around in West Virginia. Nobody was shooting anybody else. Why, why is that? It's because people don't want to. So look, I think, you know, there are people, uh, Luke, Luke Rakowski of We Are Change sends me this, uh, gun broker ad and it's for a, a hand crank nine millimeter Gatling gun. And he's like, you gotta buy this. 
People own these things. No one is carrying those things around going, ding, 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 no. just, like it just doesn't happen. We also have several examples in the last several years where that's not happened. Every state where they have passed constitutional carry, mm-hmm. and by the way, that means you can carry a firearm without asking the government's permission, without going through training, without right. getting a photo paying ID, taxes. paying taxes. Every state. The prediction has been it'll be the Wild West. You're trying to turn West Virginia into the Wild West. You're trying to turn Kentucky into the Wild West. It's never happened. It doesn't go that way. People don't just start spontaneously shooting each other when you allow people to carry firearms. What happens to the crime rates? They go down. Exactly. And right now we have record high crime. And that's why that's why owning a gun is so important. That's why constitutional carry is so important. That's why Georgia needs to pass it. And if if we don't get it passed, people gun owners are going to be so angry in Georgia if we don't get constitutional carry because we're at the threat of losing a Republican governor and having Stacey Abrams, who literally in her announcement speech, that's what she talked about: reducing gun rights, taking away guns. That was in her announcement Marjorie, speech. Marjorie, I cannot believe you would say that about her during Black History Month. That's so horrible. Oh, I forgot yeah. that. Let, let me, is very observant. We'll do we'll do uh, one more super chat before we go to the member segment. We have uh, Beastly who says, "Question for Marjorie: You say have a national divorce, and we need to stand against China. How is that possible with a weaker America suffering from CCP subversion?" Well, I talked about the national divorce is one option that hopefully we don't have to do, but we may end up having to be there because Democrats and their authoritarian. Uh, Policies and controls may force us to that point. But I said we also need to look towards each other and put aside our differences and realize that China is our real enemy. What I was getting is that it was – do you mean the CCP? The I, CCP. When I think of the Chinese people, I feel like they're enslaved. Oh, they're like the, under the boot. Not the people, the government, the CCP. Yeah, yeah not directed Party, at the regular. Like zero 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 one percent of that population or something. Yeah. A very powerful or less evil organization. Controlling the Chinese people. So I would like we'll we'll talk about some. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go uh, start recording our uncensored members only segment, and I want to talk about the CDC and I want to talk about the election things that YouTube um, makes it very difficult to have honest conversations about. Unfortunately, that's the reality, and we try our best to make sure those conversations can still get out. So we're going to have those conversations. So go to timcast.com, become a member, uh, help support the show, smashing the smash the like button, subscribe. We're going to have that episode, that member segment up around 11 or so p.m., so you don't want to miss it at TimCast.com. You can follow me at TimCast, and you can follow the show at TimCastIRL. We're on Instagram with clips. Uh, Thomas, do you want to shout out anything, social media or your website? Just follow Sassy with Massey, S-A-S-S-Y-M-A-S-S-I-E. That's my hashtag if you're looking for me on Twitter. Are you guys fundraising? By chance for a re-election or anything? Absolutely. Like that? I only take. Uh, I'm supported mostly by small dollar donations. I don't take any money from big corporate interest or, or big packs. Um, so mtgforamerica.com, and if, if anybody wants to pitch in five dollars, twenty five dollars, fifty bucks, I'm so grateful. That's what keeps me going, and that's what helps me fight back against everyone that's trying to take me down. mtgforamerica.com. Uh, by the way, you're, you're smarter than me. I didn't mention the website that would allow you to donate <laughs> thomasmassey.com will uh, you could go there and donate to me i was number 438 in fundraising out of 435 congressmen <laughs> wow <laughs> wait, wait, for a six month How period is this, is, this is what i wonder because he doesn't call and beg for <laughs> money no, no, all the are, time are because money? the non-voting <laughs> delegates of guam and puerto rico raised oh, more money wow. than me 
in, in a six-month period. <laughs> oh, my God. They don't wow. even get to vote. Wow. And so, anyways, I'm not the best fundraiser. Is Guam still upright is what I want to know. <laughs> I yeah. think it's going to tip over because your member from Georgia was concerned about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I am Seamus Coughlin. I have a YouTube channel called Freedom Tunes. We upload political satire and political cartoons every single week, sometimes twice a week. We have one coming out tomorrow about the feds that I think you all will enjoy. So I want to know when you're doing that Fauci YouTube one. That So that's going to be for behind the paywall because everything oh. we say in that. So we're working on a paywall right now, basically, where we're going to put ex- some exclusive cartoons up. It won't take away from the weekly uploads. We'll still be putting out just as much content, but there will also be extra stuff. Uh, and... Tim and I recorded this very funny Fauci bit, which will never, ever be allowed on YouTube. Like, it would get, it would get my channel banned instantly. Can you beep so, a bunch of stuff so out? So that is going to be the, the edited one. version it, on YouTube? Rumble. Um, yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, the you Rumble try a censored one work, on YouTube. But, me, me, me. Just beep out 90% of it. But at, at the very least, it will. Yeah, Twitter, so, like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Dude, you guys, I had so much I don't fun. want yeah. I learned a lot tonight. Yeah. Uh, this is really great. I hope you guys can come back and tell us more because I have a lot more questions. And Absolutely. I feel like we at least nailed like a third of like the stuff I would I would have loved to have talked about tonight. Ooh, I'll so, come back. Let's do it. No, I'll come I'll back. back. I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. Keep, uh, be keep pumping these websites. I got to bring got, uh, Rand Paul next time too. Yes. Yeah, oh. Rand's great. And Dan Crenshaw. I'd love to have a debate. I think it'd be really Dan fun. Won't I do would it. enjoy a debate. Dan, yeah. yeah, Dan's. We, Dan, I, see, Dan I'm one of those. I believe in the, the civil war and the GOP. I think we need to work it out. Iron sharpens iron and we need to work to be the Republican party that supports our base and represents our base. I'm Ian Crossland. Follow me at iancrossland.net. I'll see you later. I hope you guys all enjoyed this as much as I did. I enjoyed it a lot just sitting here and listening and learning. I am Sarah Patchlitz on Twitter and minds.com. We will see all of you over at timcast.com. Sign up, become a member, help support our work. We'll be up uh, around 11 or so p.m. and we'll see you then. Bye, guys.